Hello and welcome to another episode of the 94 Feet Report NBA podcast. I'm one of your hosts, as always, Eric Spiropoulos. You can follow me on Twitter at Eric Spiros NBA. Corbin, Corbin, how you doing tonight? You know, I'm doing pretty good, Eric. Kind of excited for this free agency. Finally slowed down to a, a crawl now. I think we're, you know, waiting for some restricted free agent moves. But other than that, we're kind of set. This is it. Now we go on our little hiatus after this podcast. It, it pretty much. I mean, it's just like Montrez Harrell signed yesterday. We basically got Clint Capella left only. And, we, and he's going to go back to the Rockets one way or another. So there's not really any suspense there. But, um, yeah, perfect time for free agency winners and losers. I've got some teams. I've got some um, kind of players. I've got some just general, you know, market kind of winners and losers but let's start off with my first winner Oklahoma City Thunder I think they're I think they're actually pretty big winners this offseason um so let's run down what they did they obviously retained Paul George they retained Jeremy Grant they brought back Raymond Felton uh they added New Orleans Noel in a minimum deal and one of the biggest moves they made was getting rid of Carmelo Anthony I mean that is addition by subtraction just straight up um now, that move that they made, we haven't talked about it because it happened since our last episode, is they brought in Dennis Schroeder. And that is a questionable – that could be very – that's a risky move. I think it's actually – I kind of like it. Uh, I'm not a Me huge too. Schroeder fan. I, he's pretty bad defensively, and I know he can be a huge issue in the locker room, which is something they probably don't want. Um, but there is, there is, I think, a role – I wouldn't say there's a huge need for him because Raymond Felton was quietly one of like the better backup point guards in the league last year. But I think there is a role for Schroeder as this really athletic um, kind of, you know, he can lead second units and actually be a go-to player offensively. Uh, he can't shoot, so, you know, playing him alongside Westbrook probably is a, is a no-go right there. Uh, and defense is going to be bad. But they have enough defenders on the floor um, to kind of make up for him. I think that he can fit in well. You know, can he fit that Reggie Jackson role from a couple of years ago? If he can, that's a big boost to the Thunder. If he doesn't want to accept that role and becomes an issue in the locker room, you know, that could come back to bite him because he has, I think, three more years on that contract. And we saw how hard it was for the Hawks to trade to get rid of him. I'm not sure the Thunder will be able to get rid of him if he doesn't buy in. So, you know, the Thunder are banking on their culture. They're banking on some strong, um, you know, leaders. And Westbrook is, like, apparently shorter as, like, idol and role model. So maybe he'll, you know, listen to him. Um, really, one of the bigger things about this team is they got their depth back. They have some versatility now. They brought back all of their guys. They added a couple guys. They got addition by subtraction with Melo. But really, this team, you know, if they're healthy, and mainly I'm talking about Andre Roberson, they're going to be really, really good. I mean, you know, people forget how good they were with Roberson on the floor. Here's a stat. The defense was 11.7 points per 100 possessions better with Roberson on the floor. Wow. Almost 12 points per 100 possessions better with Roberson on the floor. I mean, wow. if they get – I mean, we we don't know what his when he's going to be fully healthy if he ever returns to 100%. But if he returns to 80 or 90% of what he was, plus all these moves of retaining their guys, getting rid of Anthony, adding a dynamic play off the bench in Schroeder, I think they're really big winners this offseason. Oh, yeah. I definitely think not only for keeping Paul George, which in and of itself would have been a winner in my book regardless, because with teams that make trades or small market teams such as Oklahoma City, bringing in a star – of Paul George's caliber, you wouldn't get those meetings. And that was discussed after Paul George signed that Sam Presti said, hey, we wouldn't have a meeting with them regardless without taking a swing and making a trade and, and convincing them to stay another year. So the fact that he re-upped for three more years, that's a win for the Oklahoma City Thunder organization. Um, Obviously their culture, Russell Westbrook, that he had a star that, I mean, I'm sure you felt the same way, but was the perfect star to play alongside Russell Westbrook. And he actually felt the same way. So you had a star who said, you know what? I can do this with Russell. And, and whether or not that's the case, that's still a win. Um, getting rid of Carmelo Anthony, in my opinion, obviously 
addition by subtraction. He's a great player, wasn't a great fit. Um, well-respected among the, the players in the locker room, but, you know, unwillingness to change his role and having, you know, a declining a declining season. This is the beginning of the end, I think, for him. He needs to sort of realize that he's going to be in more of a complimentary role. But, you know, he still thinks he's a star. Great. See you later. So by bringing in Dennis Schroeder, um, I'm actually a little more high or a little more bullish on him. I think, you know, if he's shooting and playing alongside Westbrook may not be the best case scenario, but I do think that it will happen. Because in crunch time, instead of taking a player like Carmelo who hijacked the offense and took ill-advised shots and really stopped the ball, now you bring in another player in Schroeder who can play alongside Russell Westbrook, and although he may not be a good shooter off the ball, he creates his own offense. I think a kick out pass off of Russ and maybe a drive and dish or something like that, Schroeder has a lot more um, of a dynamic ability off the ball, I would I think, with his dribble drive penetration to make some things happen in place of Carmelo. And I could see some lineup flexibility with, you know, Jeremy Grant and Paul George, and as we already mentioned, Andre Roberson, although in crunch time I would have Schroeder over him um, and Russell Westbrook. That's a defensive unit. They can get up and down. And although Schroeder's not, like, a great shooter, I, I, I think he's, what, sub-30%. Okay, I can't really make a good case for that. But the point being, like, he, he can do some stuff off the ball, and I'm actually happy for that. And he, you know, a while back, it was funny, I was reading, I think, in a report that um, when Show was first up for contract negotiations, he said that he wanted um, Reggie Jackson money. Well, not only does he have Reggie Jackson money, but he has a Reggie Jackson role. So, you know, we'll see how that goes. But I think it's good. Oklahoma, with, with the way that the West has kind of sorted itself out, and I'm sure we're going to get to that a little bit later, I think they can be as high as number two in the West. I agree, and I just looked up Schroeder's numbers, and th- listen, I mean, last year he shot 29% bad, but 2016-2017, he shot 34% on 3.7 attempts per game. So, I mean, that's still below league average, but 34% is a pretty significant difference from 29%. So if he can actually hit that, uh, and maybe he'll get more open shots, I mean, you know, that lack of floor spacing might hurt the offense overall. Um, but if he's out there with, you know, more shooters, if they play him with, you know, more floor spacing around him, he could get better looks. Um, he's dynamic. I mean, last year, 19.6 assists. Wasn't really that efficient. Um, he's really bad defensively, so you got to surround him with elite defenders around him, which they obviously have. Um, I think that we are probably more optimistic um, than the majority of people on Twitter that – you know, from, from OKC's perspective, just really didn't like this move in terms of, you know, what he could do in the locker room and, you know, his lack of shooting. But listen, he's a dynamic playmaker. He can set up shots for others. He can get buckets on his own. Um, and if he can improve that shooting to, you know, that 34, 35%, that could be a huge difference for him. Um, but yeah, I, I agree. I think that we are probably more optimistic than most people are in terms of Schroeder's fit. But really, I think this team comes down to they retain their guys for another year of continuity. They got rid of Mello, which is you know, addition by subtraction, as we've already said. Um, they add a dynamic player that could work out if he buys in. And if they can just get healthy with mainly Roberson, if Roberson get healthy, they were already an elite team last year with Roberson on the floor. And that was with Mello and without guys like Noel um, and Schroeder. So take away Mello, give back, give us back a healthy Roberson, Schroeder, Noel, another year of continuity. I agree with you. I think that they could finish as high as two. Um, I wouldn't predict it right now because I want to see how things mesh and how Schroeder fits in, but I definitely see that they could. They have that kind of ceiling, I think. Oh, yes, most definitely. Deeper bench, um, more lounge flexibility. I think I think they're a go. I'm excited for them as a Russell Westbrook fan, you know, one of these players that you love to hate, but I actually, I actually love to watch them. So I think having a stronger supporting cast that more plays to Westbrook's strengths, um, not – the prettiest team, um, three-point shooting-wise, not the best, but they're defensive, they're kind of gritty, and they can get up and down. So they're, they're a winner. 
Um, do you have a lose you want to hit, or you want to do another winner? Uh, let's get one of your winners. Okay, so, I mean, <laughs> I'm sorry, I gotta compose myself here. The Los Angeles <laughs> Lakers, okay? <laughs> I spent five long, excruciating years. Um, I, I've been there for every one. I went from being high on Carmelo Anthony to hoping that we at least get Greg Monroe. But after five years of just whiff pitches and, and failures to even get meetings, such as KD two years ago, we finally got a superstar. And not just a superstar, the best player in the game. I mean, arguably the best to ever play. And this is right along with just a list of superstars that we've had. George Mikan, Will Chamberlain, Jerry West, Magic Johnson, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Shaq, Kobe, Nick Young, just kidding. But now we have LeBron James. And, you know, we there's some questionable moves that have been made since then, and I'm, I'm, I'm sure we're going to address that in the oh, loser section. Oh, I'm going to get to that. <laughs> I was trying to soften the blow there. But for me to have – for us to, for the Lakers to have LeBron James and to almost validate the front office and the change that was made last season, bringing in Magic Johnson, bringing in Rob Palenka, Jeannie Buss really taking control, and to sell – LeBron, and it, who knows how much selling he needed. You know, he was kind of leaning that way, reports were saying. But to actually secure that big fish, and not only a big fish, the big fish, um, to, to lead for not only one year, not a one-and-one, one, but for a long-term deal moving forward, for the next three years of LeBron James's career. Um, and, yeah, he's 33, but he's already been staving Father Prime away for, like, Father Time, for, like, the past three or four years so far. And so I think you can conceivably look at another two three years of LeBron James, and even if he, even when he diminishes, the player that he is, just the level and the caliber, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's still better than many other players. And you kept your young core, so you still have a Alonzo Ball, a Brandon Ingram, a, a Josh Hart, who's really taking strides, obviously a Kyle Kuzma. Um, and you make it, you know, you fill in with some ancillary pieces, not really going to go into that, and, you know, hey, this is a team right now, the younger players can develop, and you have a leader in LeBron James who will lead them on the floor, and in the locker room. Yeah, I like that you I mentioned I like that you mentioned that part about them keeping their young players because I really think that one of their key moves in the offseason was not forcing themselves to trade for Kawhi because they can keep the young players now and they still have the potential to sign a star like Kawhi in twenty nineteen and compete then. Um, listen, as currently constructed, no one's picking them to to compete for the championship. I mean, I think it'd be almost a minor miracle for them to make the conference finals. Um, just because, you know, Houston's really strong. We just talked about how good OKC could be. Warriors are there. Those are three teams. And then, you know, we're talking about the other teams, Jazz, Nuggets. I mean, so many – I don't want to talk about it because so many teams in the West are going to be absolutely brutal. <laughs> but um, I like that they didn't force themselves. They didn't rush themselves. And maybe it was LeBron saying you don't have to rush it. Maybe they, the front office kind of took a step back and was like, let's not rush things because you keep the young players now. You have a, you have a good season this year, you know, probably you know somewhere close between you know, 47 to 50 wins. Um, see what you can do in the playoffs have the potential to sign a star in 2019, and then you start really competing there with that star player, whether it's Kawhi and LeBron, you know, Jimmy Butler and LeBron, someone and LeBron, basically. Um, and then you still have those several young pieces to lead the team post-LeBron, whether that's, you know, three years from now, LeBron probably going to be declining significantly at that point, 30, 36, 37. And you still got, yeah. I mean, you know, unless they trade a couple of them, but they'll still have some kind of young core to, to kind of trans, smoothly transition into the next phase of Lakers contention. I like that they didn't trade all, you know, they didn't get LeBron and just traded like three young players away for Kawhi. Um, just be patient. It looks like he went to a place where he doesn't want to be, um, but there are reports that he might like Toronto. I don't know. Um, and we'll get to that in a little bit. Um, so, yeah, basically, 
My thoughts on the Lakers, I have them on both sides of the list, which might be cheating, I guess, but um, LeBron makes you a winner by default. Like, you sign LeBron James, I don't care what else you do in the offseason, you're a winner because it's LeBron James. But the other moves are really, really confusing. They're just baffling to me, honestly. Oh, man. I, <laughs> I know you're about to go down that road. Well, but listen, before... Huh? I was going to save it. I want to save it because I have a couple of... I think there are a, okay. couple, a couple of things that will probably define the Lakers season and mainly about LeBron. Number one is will he play more off the ball because there was that article um, – who was it? Ramona was it Shelburne. Ramona Shelburne? Who, where, he's, yeah. where he had agreed in their in his meeting with Magic to basically to want to play off the ball more. So will he actually do that? I mean I think people – you know there have been players who have said that and they continue to dominate the ball and that's just natural to them. Um, that's number one. Kobe. Number two, <laughs> we know. <laughs> number two <laughs> – Will he play at center? Because there were that there was that article um, that came out this week that the, there are Lakers execs that kind of envision this small ball lineup with LeBron at center and basically surrounded by all basically almost all the young guys. Um, you know, it's the ball. You know, whether it's you know Hart or KCP, Ingram, Kuzma, but mainly headlining is LeBron at center. Will that be played a lot? I mean, I think that's going to be such a fascinating lineup. But again, LeBron at this point doesn't want to do that. Doesn't really want to take that grind in the physical toll during the regular season. We've seen he kind of checks out. Um, at least on defense in the regular season to save himself for the playoffs. So I'm not sure he'll want to play center for that much because that's a lot of big physical toll on him. Um, but really, I mean, oh God, the, the West is going to be so tough. It's just like it's hard to see this team getting higher than like a five, six, or seven seed just because of these other moves that they made. Let me let me scroll down to my notes here because I oh, mean. No. I don't have many notes I could actually. Name I them could, off the top of the head, yeah. I mean, I, I honestly, it's not it's not hard really. But let's, I mean. They signed LeBron James, and everyone's like, oh, my God. Like, this is the start of a great offseason for the Lakers. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. Next signings are Lance Stevenson, JaVale McGee, Rajon Rondo, and this week, Michael Beasley. I, I mean – Be easy. <laughs> I mean, like – God, where do I start? They're going to be – they're going to be pretty bad defensively. And this is basically because LeBron's going to check out in the regular season. Beasley's giving you nothing there. Lance is hit or miss. Rondo is one of the more overrated defenders now. He still he still seems to be living off a reputation from like four or five playoff years Rondo. ago. Playoff, playoff Rondo. Is, Rondo. Playoff Rondo is real. We saw that. That is oh, real. Thank you. But for those 82 games, regular seasons, he is just a below average defender. He's, sometimes maybe he'll get more engaged now. I'm not sure. But they gave him $9 million. He's got all the money he wants. He doesn't want to defend. Um, the other – I think the more important thing is just the lack of shooting on the floor. I mean – LeBron thrives when he's surrounded by shooters. Uh, who is he going to be surrounded on? I mean, I mean, Josh Hart, um, KCP, I guess, can shoot a little bit. If Lonzo discovers Brandon his Ingram shot. Ingram improved. Ingram has improved his shot. Kuzma can shoot. Uh, but other than that, I mean, you know, Brooke Lopez, I thought, would have been really nice if they brought him back as a shooting oh, yeah. big. Um, there are other shooters available. I mean, they could have gone after probably Wayne Ellington. Um, there's just such a little shooting. I, I mean, LeBron, teams, LeBron always thrives with shooters around him. That's basically what I'm thinking about. And I agree, but I'm thinking, you know, based on what you just said about LeBron wanting to transition a different style of play, that maybe, you know, he thrives with a lot of shooters, but in that role, he's the main distributor, he's the the primary ball handler, and the offense runs through him. If you're having a Rajon Rondo out there, you're having a Lance Stevenson in spells, then LeBron can really focus on filling the lane, um, finishing, maybe he could spot up a little bit more. He's not the focal point. You know, he, he's a, he plays off the ball and is a weapon on his own in that sense. So then... The lack of shooting, I mean, in a way, it still hinders 
LeBron because it hinders any team in the modern NBA not having enough spacing on the floor. But it's not as bad because LeBron isn't going to be the point of attack all the time. Um, he will be able to play in different roles, and then you have Rajon Rondo bring the ball up and get them into their sets. I could see a lot more of a traditional offense, which it it almost hurts me to say that because Luke Walton doesn't play that way. I mean, with the Warriors, he liked playing small ball. He liked switching it up, um, obviously, like the rest of the NBA does now. But I definitely don't see it being that big an issue because LeBron is going to be bringing the ball up the entire time and starting the offense from there and relying on a spread floor. I think if he is playing more of the four – um, even the five and select lineups, he can do more damage in the post as Kobe did, as Michael Jordan did, as other legends did as they started aging. And I think that opens up a whole new dimension to his game. In the past, he's kind of doved in the post a little bit. Um, notably, what, 2012 and 2013, he was in there a lot. But that was more like an element of his offensive attack. That wasn't the primary focus. And I think that if he starts transitioning that way, then, I mean, let's face it, these moves are still puzzling. But it's, it's not as puzzling. That's I my mean, weak argument there. It kind of depends on – it depends on you know if these reports are – and there was the other article that said that LeBron is going to want to play more up-tempo, which we have never – we've never really seen from him you know in the past couple of years. He's been more of a slow – bring up the ball, the court, get shooters around him, and then initiate when he's ready. But, I mean, this Lakers team can play at a fast pace, and they want to, especially with all their young guys. Do, do these veterans want to play at a fast pace? Uh, we don't know. Will LeBron want to play at a fast pace? Will he want to play more off ball? And if he says yes, you know, how much off ball? Because even throwing it into the post, I mean, with this, if you surround him with this little shooting, um, teams are just going to crowd the post, probably send some doubles. Um, you know, they're not going to be worried about the guys around him shooting threes. I mean, especially if you got JaVale, Rondo, and you know, Lance around him. I mean, come on. I, I'll – just bring a guy yeah. off and, and, you know. Yeah, you're right. So maybe they only, you know, maybe they surround LeBron with, like, all their shooters when they throw it into the post. Maybe, with, you know, him at center with all the shooters. I mean, Luke Walton has his work cut out for him in terms of balancing, first of all, number one, balancing all these personalities, which cannot be over. I mean, whew, talk about Schroeder in the locker room. These guys don't have, like, I mean, some of them do. Rondo really does. But, I mean, these guys, all of them in one locker room with the Ball family and LeBron, I mean, I I would pay a network to get a reality TV show out of that. I mean, come on, let's get a hard, hard knocks. knocks, a hard <laughs> knocks, but only reality TV, not about them practicing. I just want I just want oh, the yeah. locker room view of what they're talking about. I want them going to each other's houses and you know trashing it. I don't know. So I mean, we need reality TV show oh. out, of this, out of this season right now. Oh yeah, I'm I'm thinking of Razor Rondo with the 2016 three Alpha Bulls <laughs> and bringing that with the notorious passive aggressive LeBron James and just having them exchange tweets in the same locker room in the midst of like a nine and thirteen stretch in uh, February. Oh, like I, mean, I can gonna see happen. that. It's gonna happen. Le- <laughs> LeBron is gonna call out either one of these veterans or he's gonna call out one of the young guys and say it's time to step up or something like take the next step or something like something like that i mean he, what championship is, mentality what he said to kevin love stop trying to fit out and trying to fit in well uh-huh. this one it'll make more sense if he sells one of the young guys to just try not to step take the step down but take the step up or something like that uh, yeah lavar gonna say something about middle season oh, you know man. if you had my boy uh leangelo out there uh he would be some yeah i don't want to go into it, it but yeah. i, I want to close <laughs> What is that? I mean, I just, I mean, we know it's going to happen, so it's, it's inevitable. Yeah, me too. I know. And this is why I'm not really, I'm looking at it as a win just by getting LeBron James, but I almost want to look past this whole year because we know, I mean, you don't bring in Michael Beasley as, as your finishing touch, supposedly. And I mean, any team that brings in Michael Beasley, that's not the Warriors. I would not think, oh yeah, yeah, that's it. You know, deep playoff run. Here we go. It, the, the, the cast that they brought together 
it's going to be like you said, fifth, sixth, possibly. I mean, I bet on LeBron to give them at least 10 more wins. They get into the playoffs, but they're not competing this year for a championship. At least any rational NBA fan knows that. But next year, you know, you're one Luol Deng stretch or trade away from having enough cap space for another max. And I mean, this is when you have, as you said, Kawhi Leonard on the market, Kevin Durant. Um, Al Horford, Kemba Walker, Jimmy Butler, Clay Thompson. I mean, there are other pieces out there. Paul Millsap, Marcus All, who personally I don't like. But these are other players that you could say, okay, are quote-unquote stars. You add that, let's say you keep the younger players, and you have LeBron James, 34, 35, still, you know, still productive. I'm definitely going to believe that. And you're set for contention. And who knows what the Warriors are going to have to deal with, you know, having um, Clay Thompson of free agency, DeMarcus Cousins, you know, depending on how his season goes. We can go to the Warriors later. But you put yourself in a better position to actually say and not get laughed out the room that, yes, we're competing for a championship in 2019. But it had to start by getting this big fish and getting that monkey off their back, which Lakers ownership has had for the past five years in just the dysfunction and the losing and just the total whiffs in free agency that they've had and really kind of rise above that. Yeah, I agree. That, that That's the main reason. I look at this more as a win on the offseason because you got LeBron, as I said before, makes you a default winner. But two – they're they're set up for 2019 to be their year. That's when they're really gonna strike. And and the fact that they didn't trade their young guys is why I think that that's a key aspect of the offseason. So the fact that they didn't force a trade for another star and the fact that they got LeBron leans leans them towards mostly winners for me. But I had to th- I just had to throw them in the losers category because out of all the other small role players that they could have added to add these guys, I mean they're gonna be good. They're gonna make the playoffs. It might not make a big deal if they get you know. Instead of signing uh, Wayne Ellington, they signed Lance. That might not make it. That's not gonna make a huge deal this season, especially for not for 2019 too, because they only did one-year deals for all these guys. But they could have built, they could have built a top three team, I think, in in the West, but if they just improved their role players. And you know, again, I don't think that they're gonna compete for a title, even if they got the role players that I liked over these guys. But they didn't have to throw. Why are they giving Rondo nine million? Okay, just give him a smaller mon- number and try and throw that money at someone else. I mean, they probably could have got Rondo at three and give Wayne Ellington six million. I mean. Anyways, whew, that's a lot of Lakers talk, but uh, I think we should move I love to it. I love it. another. Oh, I know you do. <laughs> <laughs> I think we should move to a, a winner that relates somewhat to the Lakers because they traded for a player that obviously has been rumored to go to the Lakers, whether through a trade or next summer. It's not going to be a trade because Kawhi Leonard was traded to the Toronto Raptors, who I have as winners. So besides obviously trading for Kawhi, they re-signed Fred VanVleet. Um Van Vliet is just, I mean, he is one of the top backup point guards slash spot starters in the league. I mean, competing for sixth man of the year. He should do it again next year, honestly. Um, just a quality player can hit the three. I think it was at 40%. You know, he's active defensively. He's not going to, like, lock anyone down, but he's going he's gonna to give you some effort there. And he can handle the ball. But let's talk about, I mean, the, the Kawhi trade is why they're in this list, basically. I think it's a big win for them. We haven't talked about it because, again, another move that happened during the week that we didn't have an episode for. But, um the Kawhi trade gives them a shot at the finals this year. I mean, I'm talking as I'm assuming that he'll be healthy, which we, again, the reports were that he's healthy, but we still don't know. And I'm, I'm not going to believe until I see him on the floor, really. Um, but the fact that it gives him a shot at the finals this year, while also kind of jumpstarting a rebuild for next summer, if he leaves, those, that's another underrated aspect of this trade. Because first of all, on the floor this year, this team is going to be insane defensively. I mean, they are going to be locking people down left and right. I mean, the defensive potential that they have to throw out a lineup that is Kyle Lowry, good defender. Danny Green, underrated aspect of this trade, good defender. Kawhi, best defender, best perimeter defender in the league. OG Ananobi, 
very, very good perimeter defender. And then they could do a, kind of a small ball lineup with Serge Ibaka or Pascal Siakam at center. And that team is going to switch everything. It's going to – you can't score on the team. It's going to be a top three defense if Kawhi's healthy, if Green's, you know, hasn't fallen off a cliff at age like 32, I think. Um, but the other fact is that they also get more shooting with Danny Green and Kawhi instead of DeRozan. Uh, Jakob Poto they traded, but it's big man. You know, he doesn't really shoot. Um, so at the same time, they improve their defense because DeRozan – liability defensively, but they also get more shooting, which could help their offense even more, even though they were elite on both ends of the floor last year. But this is a team that won 59 games last year. And if they get a healthy Kawhi, they upgraded from their star from DeRozan and they get a, a perfect fit three and D Danny green. Sure. They lose uh Jacopoto, but Ibaka, Siaka, Valanciunas can more than fill up at center. Um, and the fact that, you know, they can jump jump a rebuild. They got out that DeMar DeRozan contract. You know, if this team ran back with the same team with a new coach and Nick Nurse but stalled in the playoffs again, and then they would have been looked at – they would have had to look at a rebuild, and they would have had to try and trade DeRozan. But they traded DeRozan. They got, got off that contract to get Kawhi Leonard uh, and Danny Green. I don't want to, you know, sell Danny Green any short. One of my – just one of my favorite players. Um I just love that. I just love this trade. And everyone's talking about the high risk he could leave, and I'm like, you know what? Sure, but – I'm not a big DeRozan fan, if you can't tell. I mean, I just he's a he's a very very good player, All NBA, All Star. He probably won't be an All Star in the West, but I just oh, man. the way the he I don't know. I think it's the way he plays that I don't really enjoy. I'm I'm just not a big kind of mid range, you know, non three point shooting star that doesn't really play defense. Um, I just think they got a huge upgrade in Kawhi, a perfect team to contend for the finals this year, but also the team that can jump start a rebuild, you know. If they, if they don't make it, Kawhi leaves. They can trade Lowry for something, and they basically got to rebuild there. And if it doesn't work, and maybe Kawhi says he's not going to return by middle of season, they can just trade him at the uh, trade deadline and try and get a couple of pieces back. I just love it because it, it opens up two paths for them, a shot at contending this year, and if they re-sign him, shots for the you know the next four or five years. And if he leaves, it, it just jump starts that rebuild, which I think probably would have happened anyways. Oh, yeah. I, I, I wanted to – I give them a, I give them a win. Um, I didn't like the whole PR with DeMar DeRozan, how that trade went down, the miscommunication or the straight-up lie, whichever side you believe. But you can't deny the fact that Toronto did upgrade in talent while also setting us up for that rebuild. And that's good because if you go and say, I mean, you know, the Toronto had consistently, um, I want to say overachieved in the regular season and underachieved in the playoffs and ran to LeBron James over and over and over. And you signed Jerry, said, okay, we're going to have a culture reset, you know, time for changes. You make all these blanket almost veiled threats of we're going to have to switch things up. And then you finally get rid of um, Dwayne Casey, but then promote his main assistant. In my eyes, I was like, why even do that? Because Nick Nurse, while, you know, his offensive games, uh, his offensive schemes I've heard are a little more, let's say, um, outside the box, a little more expansive than Dwayne Casey's was. And maybe the motivational skill set's different and the coaching um, the coaching style is a little bit different. It's the same organization. It's the same, same style structure even down the coaching staff so i felt that was more of a lateral move and not a good one at that because you're basically punishing um the coach of the year for what i thought was the player's ability to just shut down i thought was it was you know Dwayne casey's not known for his in-game strategy and everything but it seemed as if the players really kind of gave this one up in my opinion anyway long story short you do that and going into the offseason i'm like okay it's the same team just a different coach by getting rid of DeMar DeRozan, you can say that, hey, we have changed the culture a bit. For one, the younger players see, okay, Toronto or, or, or Usain Majiri is serious about, if we have a chance to get talent, we're going to swing and get it. And I don't want to say no one is safe, but you just had your franchise centerpiece for the past nine years just gone. You know what I mean? So that, that, that's something for them. 
um, for Kyle Lowry, I don't want to say it's a wake-up call, but it, it's just a shake of an organization, but in the best way possible, because not only do you bring in talent like Kawhi Leonard, who is an upgrade at DeMar DeRozan, sadly, in almost everything. I mean, in my opinion, maybe maybe ball handling, you could say, but mm-hmm. shooting, what would you say? I mean, Cause, I, I think, mean, shooting, I give it to Kawhi. I mean, Defense, I, I definitely. Think, I think ball handling, but yeah, I mean, DeRozan's not exactly going to be, you know, passing left and right to get up open shots. I mean, I think he's a little bit better of a setup man than Kawhi in terms of playmaking, but yeah. everything else is Kawhi. And that's crazy to me because, I mean, it's not that crazy, but, like, I guess because I look at the East and West differently, I'll, I don't often see them. Like, oh, yeah, Kawhi and DeMar, they're about even. No, they're, they're not, almost not even close. It's kind of funny to think of that. <laughs> but, Kawhi Leonard is a top – when healthy, Kawhi Leonard is a top five player. I mean, and there are – I mean, there's only five of them, obviously, but there are just yeah, exactly. not many of those – that high-level players. Yeah, where I put DeMar DeRozan more like top 15, top 20, if we're being very considered. And that's after – Careful evaluation, and it's a shame because I hate to say when you said Demar Rosen won't make the play, all you know won't be an All Star in the West. I almost want to go, nah, nah, shame on you for even thinking that. But I mean, let's be real, uh, the West, yeah. I mean, one, he, he's gonna get swallowed up by a lot of those shooting guards out there. I mean, I can only name a few players that will just put the clamps on him. On the other end, you do have to play defense on the other end. And while I do give Coach Pop, I'm going to give Coach Pop um, a lot of credit in advance because I think that he will kind of help DeMar DeRozan at least be more aware on that end because looking at clips of DeMar DeRozan some of it's not just oh I'm getting beat off the dribble like you're not even there in the first place you're not paying attention you know if you were just a serviceable defender that'll be one thing so I do think that it, he will show up a little bit on that end just because San Antonio's defense is usually stringy on the other hand though yeah it, it for Toronto to give a player that while yes has been their centerpiece and great in the community and, and great for them for the past nine years but you do get a player in Kawhi that like you said, superstar, hands down. And if things go wrong, we just start from the top. I mean, I don't know if you Simon Jerry will be there if things go wrong because you swung for the fences, made a trade, and then it didn't work out too well, if that is the case. But the point is, they'll be in better position moving forward to just kind of rebuild from there, which is good because if this is whether or not good or bad, you know, however this works out, unless Kawhi signs, this is the absolute zenith of this era of Toronto Raptors basketball. Like, I don't think they don't get any better from here, in my opinion, and they can only go back down. But this will be like the peak. They went up, they went up, they got stuff, they did this, then they made this blockbuster trade, and you know the books, the verdict's still out. We don't know yet, but I definitely think right now you you can't say that they aren't winners. Yeah, first of all, they they were automatically winners when LeBron left the conference, just like the Sixers and um, oh, the Celtics. Man. That's just what happens. I mean, when LeBron leaves the East, those three teams that were you know most known as the other contenders automatically became winners because their path to the finals just got easier. But then they add, they add Kawhi, and this move can be. I, I think there's just so much potential in this team, and again, they have to get a healthy Kawhi. Um, hopefully they get, you know, they avoid injuries to guys like Lowry and everything like that. You know, Ibaka's, you know, nowhere what he used to be. But this team can still be elite defensively. I think they can even improve offensively just because of more shooting with Green and Kawhi. Um, I love this trade. I mean, I love it for the Raptors. Um, it's a risk, but I think that it's a it's a well-calculated one knowing the fact that you can – this helps start the rebuild if it doesn't work out and Kawhi leaves. But if what happens if they – what happens if, like, the Thunder, they, you know, get Kawhi to buy in and they make the finals and then they re-sign Kawhi? That's a huge win for the Raptors franchise, True. especially in this giving this trade because I agree. I, I have the Spurs as a loser, but I, in recent days I've come around on them. But uh, do you have any other winners or you want to go, you know, to the Spurs and analyze it from their perspective? I think the Spurs perspective is probably best because I really don't know what to make of them. Um, obviously, you lose Kawhi. I, I guess you lose Kawhi, you're a loser off the bat. But he was going to be gone anyway. And I don't think that you would have had a package out there aside from 
um, some picks to look forward to in the future that 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 would have netted them anyone of of substance because the Celtics weren't giving up. Uh, they were they were talks about probably a Jalen Brown, and then I think those talks um kind of subsisted or something. I don't even know. Were, so yeah, they weren't ever, they weren't gonna give him up. Yeah. Yeah. So that was I mean, Jason Tate was never there. It would have been picks. The Philadelphia seventy sixers didn't have a Markel Fultz out there and they weren't talking about Sarich or any of those guys, so that wasn't happening. The Lakers weren't doing anything right then because they said, Hey, we could just wait until twenty nineteen offseason and grab him then. So for the Spurs, they were kinda caught between a rock and a hard place because do you want to go into training camp with the player who already made it known to the coach um, to the organization, to the public, they doesn't want to be there and have to deal with that circus until they trade him, or do they want to get rid of him now for whatever flossing they can get? So by getting DeMar DeRozan and um, Jakob Pertl, I think that they're still, I don't know, like they're clearly not a top, in my opinion, a top five Western Conference team. No. I mean, and that's with other moves like losing Kyle Anderson and I'm not even going to say losing Tony Parker as, an, as a loss, but losing him as like a hit to their culture, I guess, or a hit to them, not playing-wise because he was just done. But you take all those players who left, and then you bring back DeMar DeRozan, who, yes, is an all-star caliber player, but will not be an all-star in the West, and Jakob Pertl, who is intriguing and has some talent, but, I mean, come on, it's the West. He's not a game-changer. I think they tread water. I think they possibly make the playoffs. I mean, I'm not going to bet against Pop. Um, we had a, a team that played basically through LaMarcus Aldridge with Kawhi Leonard playing only nine games and did pretty well with a good defense and very little three-point shooting. Well, the three-point shooting just got worse. But I think that, you know, with Coach Pop at the helm, they'll at least be in the fight to make the playoffs. I don't, I, I don't know what to make of that, really. But I think they'll be competitive. So I want to get your take on it because you probably have more of a solidified one. Well, I think this starts and ends with Pop and – I agree with you. It's hard to count them out in terms of them not making the playoffs. I haven't. Yeah. I mean, I'll have to wait until like September until I until I sit down to make my predictions for the West through. because my God, I might take two months to think about it because that's how hard it's going to be. Um, <laughs> but on the other hand, the, this Popovich being the head coach and having a significant voice in their front office um, with RC Buford basically as a tandem GM combo basically. It, it impacted this trade. And again, we talked about it. There were articles about how, you know, Sixers didn't offer Fultz. Celtics weren't offering Brown. They weren't offering, you know, next year's picks that they have from either the Kings or Grizzlies. They weren't offering the best of the best. I think there was a report that the Sixers offered Covington, Sarich, and the Heat 2021 first round pick that they got on draft night. I oh, would have, I honestly might have not, I might have taken that trade over this one. But again, really? I think this starts with Popovich most likely retiring in 2020 and wanting to compete for the next two years. I think that if they had a coach there who was in his prime and was going to be there for the long haul, or maybe if they had a young coach, um, I think they would have gone maybe for more of a younger package in return and, and future picks. It's hard to justify for Pop, in least. It's hard for him to justify trading Kawhi and the main centerpiece of the return as a 2021 first-round pick. That's hard. That's because I just don't think that – I mean, I think that there are people in their front office looking for the future, but I think that this trade was basically saying, listen, I'm going to retire in 2020. I do not want to do this rebuild now for my final two years. Let me grind out another season or two of 46, 47 wins, see what we can do. They're not making – I mean, I would bet a lot of – I would bet a significant amount of money that they don't make that out of the first <laughs> round of the playoffs. I, I just don't see it. I mean, they got – they were easy fodder last year. Sure, you might say, oh, they only had Kawhi for nine games last year. They won 47 games, I think, and they won a game against the Warriors. Oh, well, you know, having a DeRozan for this year for the full season will make them better because last year they won 47 without Kawhi. Well, you know, I was kind of assuming that they would get Kawhi back healthy this year, and that's a downgrade to DeRozan. But then the other moves that they made, I mean, signing Marco Bellinelli, 
no thank you. I mean, no. No <laughs> thank you. He cannot – he's so bad defensively. Like, it's going to – between him and DeRozan and Rudy Gay on the wing, Popovich is going to have to work oh, – I mean, wow. he's going to work his magic on the defensive end. If this team is like – if this team is top 10 defensively, I mean, because Gasol – you know he's old. He's really old. Aldridge can be a solid oh, defender man. sometimes, but you know he needs more of a system to help him. Dejounte Murray, elite defender, um, but they lost Danny Green and they replaced him with Bellinelli, DeRozan, Rudy Gay. They lost Kyle Anderson, another good defender. Like this team could be, you know, maybe league average defensively, um, but Popovich is gonna have to work his magic there. But then moving forward, I mean, it's just because really my the reason why I have him as a loser is they will probably be. They might, you know, they'll probably squeeze into the playoffs, win 46, 47 games. They'll have a weird offense that's all mid-range and, like, six three-pointers a game. Um, but really, it's about their future. Like, they have no real path. <laughs> they have no real path to cap space next summer because they gave Paul Gasol $16 million. I don't know why they gave him, like, a three-year deal um, last offseason. Um, LaMarcus Aldridge is going to be 34 after the upcoming season. Uh, DeRozan, I think, is going to be 30. Um, and there's no cap space. And the pick that they got from the Raptors was going to be bottom five or ten in the first round. You're not going to get a star there, most likely. I'm not going to rule anything out. Um, so, sure, they'll make the playoffs probably the next two years. Maybe they won't even make it, you know, in two years from now. Um, do they make it out of the first round? Probably not. What happens when Popovich retires and they have to rebuild? What do they have to center around that? I mean, it's just the, the, the bleh. I get a bleh feeling when I think about their future, and that's why I have them as a loser. I mean, it's a fine package if you want to stay relevant, but – Staying relevant at the expense of the future, I think, is the down the downgrade um, in this return of this package, and why I have them as losers moving forward. Yeah, I, I get that. I mean, for me, like I said, I'm still hedging because I don't, I wouldn't have taken that offer, for example, that you, that the Philadelphia 76 offered because, like you said, Popovich wants to contend now, or at least be in the conversation, and you aren't doing that with Covington and Sarich or any pick two, three years down the line. But this wasn't the best return, so. Uh, that as we both said, uh, but I don't want to make them losers because of it, because they were already pressed in that position going into the offseason. You know what I mean? So, uh, yeah, I feel you. It's, it's a tough spot. I mean, Pop is going to, like you said, have his rook Kyle for him. He is not going to be – he can't say there's not going to be exciting, you know, at least, you know, the challenge of making historically horrible defenders into something resembling a defense because you have to play those guys. Bellinelli was signed, what, two years? Two years, for, 12 for, million. Uh, on a, yeah, that contract. Oh, man. But they signed him, I guess, for shooting. So, bam, you have him. And, um, you know, you have DeMar DeRozan because you had to bring someone back. So, yeah, and you have to play him, too. And Rudy Gay, um, who actually had a pretty strong season last year. I mean, for what he is. An inefficient shooter, um, but he, he kind of played more within himself. He seems to have recovered from his ACL injury, so that's good. And, you know, I mean, you kind of get what you get. He's 31. But this is a team that you, that you look at and you just go, eh. I mean, I, the the whole never bet against the Spurs last year really put like a hammer to that window I had of that like don't bet against Spurs bam and now I'm like well maybe I can I mean they're gonna be a tough out but they will be out <laughs> you know what I mean and and I don't see them getting past if they play the Warriors again like if it if it comes up with their number eight and Warriors are number one or their number seven and whatever happens like that yeah they're going I think their best bet is if they were a four and a five because then superior coaching and they're not going to get that in my opinion because the talent level is just so subpar i mean you're going to get be giving significant minutes to a 37 year old paul gasol the artist formerly known as paul gasol i don't know yeah i mean it's just the future really that kind of makes i it's fine it's a good dare i say it's a good package actually if you want to stay relevant but 
what is staying relevant in today's West? Is that just getting eliminated in the first round? Because that's what they're most likely going to do. And Yay, relevant. Yeah, I mean, they'll be in the playoffs. So good. For, I mean, most. I, you know what? I haven't even. I'm not, I'm not even sure they're going to make the playoffs because I mean, every time <laughs> I look at the West, I'm like, which two teams are not going to make it out of these like ten very good teams? But that's a whole other discussion for like August and September. But uh, all right, let's mm-hmm. move on to one of your more winners. Maybe get a little more positivity here. All right, so another winner for me. Um, I, I hate to even say it, but Denver. I, I mean, I think Denver Nuggets. They weren't, and they're winners in like, oh, they didn't get, they didn't do anything in my opinion that was crazy. You know, they wasn't like, oh, they're clear cut winners, but they kept their core. You know, the question was, um, really, um, Will Barton, how are we gonna keep him? They brought him back on a little higher of a price range than I thought, but they got him. They got rid of Ken Fareed, which was he was just kind of there. Um, there were talks about oh, getting rid of salary, this and that. Um, I'm sure you'll break it down, but they made some intricate moves there to kind of get rid of him and Darrell Arthur. They brought back Jokic and secured him for another five years, so that's great. Um, you bring Isaiah Thomas in, and you know he will be just a, a, a jump off of or a booster on their offense off the bench, and that kind of gives them another playmaker, another creator, another shot maker there. And you just run it back. I mean, they were only a game or two out. Last year, they were a close call the year before that. You bank on another year improvement from guys like Jamal Murray and Gary Harris and Nikola Jokic, as we already mentioned. You bring in Isaiah Thomas, who is hungry and, and eager to prove himself. Hopefully a healthy Paul Millsap. Um, Will Barton is almost being rewarded doubly because not only did he get a good contract, but he's probably going to be their starting small forward. And there you go with an electrifying offense and no defense whatsoever. But, I mean, hey, I mean, you have Paul Millsap, so there's somebody. I think it's a win for Denver because now you have the team is, is locked at this point. Like every significant piece that you were already kind of building around this uh, uh, from the years past is going to be there moving forward. Gary Harris is going nowhere. Neither Jamal Murray. You have Will Barton, who was you know a pretty he's not a part of the core, but he's a significant piece on the outside of that. And Jokic, who was your just star, is there. I mean, not that there was any doubt in my opinion, but you did all you made all the right moves, and I think that that right there is a win. You made all the right moves. Bam. Yeah, so I actually I grouped the Nuggets into uh, a group of three Western Conference teams that I all had as winners, but didn't want to devote you know full sections to. So I'll get to my thoughts on the Nuggets. I have them, yeah, as slight winners, right? I'm not going to go overboard and go you know jumping for joy about their offseason. Oh, yeah. And I don't think any I don't think any Denver fan really should either, um, because Ooh. <laughs> I liked. I love. I, I'm a huge. Nug- I mean, I'm a big Nuggets fan. I think they're such such a fun team to watch. I mean, the players they have are so exciting. They're young. They're just like it's great potential for the future, but also a good team now. Um, so I love that they were signed. Uh, they they were able to retain Barton and Jokic because if they lost Barton and and didn't really add replace him with anything, he is a key piece. I mean, I he's not really part of their core. You know. You know, if you had to pick three players for their core, it's Murray, Harris, and Jokic. But, you know, Barton's probably that fourth guy, and he's dynamic, can hit the three, can handle the ball, can create shots for others. He's not really good defensively, but he's also not bad. He has the energy, and he has, you know, he's a little bit undersized, especially at small forward. That can kill him, too. But this team was going to suck defensively anyway, so that's why I have no problem with their signing of Isaiah Thomas. Because when that was announced, everyone was like, oh, the defense is going to be so bad. Who cares? It was going to be bottom five regardless if they brought Isaiah Thomas in or not. I mean, because Jamal Murray, below average defender at the moment. Gary Harris can be like an average defender. Barton's can be average, but he's going to be undersized at small forward. Millsap's elite, but again, declining. And Jokic is not as bad as it seems, but again, nowhere near elite or really good. Um, so they were going to be bad defensively anyways. I'm fine with them bringing Isaiah Thomas because when you re- put Barton from the bench to the starting lineup, you miss Barton off the bench as that six man. So you replace him with Isaiah Thomas and uh, leading that offense. Um, and then once they stagger their guys, I mean, they could do you know Isaiah Thomas and Gary Harris, Isaiah Thomas and Millsap. 
Millsap, Isaiah Thomas, and Jokic. I mean, that might be the worst pick-and-roll defensive duo of all time. Um, but offensively, I mean, Isaiah Thomas and Jokic might be one of the most exciting things to watch in, in the league. Um, so I like that they resign their guys. I like the the addition of Isaiah Thomas. Um, I think that the downside of the offseason was getting rid of that 2019 first-round pick to shed salary. Uh, and this is basically what it is. If ownership, which I, I feel like ownership should be willing to spend the luxury tax when you have a good team. But again, not all, not all owners want to. Um, and to do that, they had to get rid of a 2019 first round pick, which again, I think they're going to make the playoffs. Um, but it could still be like the 17th, 18th pick. Um, and it sucks to give that away just to get off salary. But again, that's ownership's demands. and They had to do it. Um, not free agency related, but again, Michael Porter Jr. at pick 14, that could be a decision that kind of alters oh, yeah. their franchise. I mean, if he turns out to be a stud and stays healthy, that's another star added to their core that kind of fits on the timeline because he's basically like two years younger than, you know, Murray and Jokic pretty much. Um, if he flames out, I think it was, I think it's fine because they still got Murray, Harris, Jokic. They got Barton from moving forward. Um, and they can actually create some cap space next summer. So they can actually add to this team, not a star player, but a guy who can become a starter or, you know, a mid salary kind of guy. So I like their offseason overall downside of giving away a first, a first round pick to get off salary but that's the ownership dictated michael porter jr's is a huge aspect of their offseason um but isaiah thomas i'm fine with it because their defense is going to suck anyways and they have that continuity and they got a gel the pressure's on mike malone if they don't make the playoffs he is out of there 100 percent um so let's see if they let's see if he responds to that pressure and let's see if he can reflect that onto the players without them kind of getting tight because last year they lost they lost a lot of games because they were a young core not really used to playing for the playoffs but this year the pressure is on, and they could easily – I think they could easily win 50 games this season, if not more, actually. Oh, yeah. They're going to be excited to watch. Clear clear out. I mean, I wasn't a fan of them maybe last year, but that was just personally. After they beat – and this is just a personal story here. After they beat the Thunder, I think Paul George went off for like 35, 40 points. It was on TNT. It was a great game. He had like a clutch three to kind of put them up by one or two with like maybe five, six seconds left. And then, in my opinion – um, was it Andre Roberson that was sticking Gary Harris? Yeah, he got slammed by an illegal pick, and Jokic moved like five feet um, to inbound the ball, and Gary Harris got that three. And after that, I said, you know what? I don't like you, Denver. And there we are. But, you know, the offseason has come, and looking at them, they're going to be excited to watch. Come league pass time, which I'm looking forward to, I'm definitely tuning into them. So, 50 wins! Oh, yeah. I mean, they're going to be exciting, and they're going to be good this year. And they were good last year. They won 46 games. But they're going to be like – they could be like 50-53 win good and fun to watch instead of like, you know, a Spurs team that could win like 48 games but might be a really big drag to watch, you know, for me personally because I don't like, you know, mid-range you know, style of play. But let me, let's let uh -huh. get to the two oh. other teams that I grouped into this because I want to touch on them quickly because I do have them all in one group together. Um, Pelicans um, I have as – not like super comfortable winners, but overall I think they're winners. And it's mainly because, again, we're both – we both probably have, you know, two of the biggest properties on, on Randall Island here. Um, but oh, they yeah. added Julius Randall to their core, and I, he fits really well with Miritich and AD. And I think that they add him to uh, – they make a front court that is one of the best, but also one of the more interesting and dynamic ones um, in the league. Um, you can stagger Randall with either Miritich or AD. I think that they should start Miritich and AD, honestly. Um, just because getting that more spacing around AD in that starting lineup could be huge. And then you could bring AD off and put Randall in and then bring AD back on and play him with Randall. There's so many combinations in the front court that's going to be fascinating to watch. Um, Alfred Payton they brought in. He's been pretty bad just in terms of contributing to wins. Like He puts up numbers but just doesn't really do anything, and he's been on a lot of bad teams. But maybe, just maybe, 
this fast-paced system that they do. They had the league's fastest pace last year. I think that's going to be great for Randall. We saw he could be an absolute terror in transition. I think that's going to be exciting if they give him the ball and let him just wreak havoc in transition. But Peyton, maybe in an up-tempo system, maybe playing alongside Drew Holiday, NND, maybe Peyton can improve a little bit. I don't know. See, <laughs> this is what – I'm sorry. This is how mad I was. When you said maybe and Alfred Payton, like in the same kind of forming of a sentence, I thought you were going to finish it with – Maybe the new haircut that Alfred Payton got will improve his shooting dramatically. That, that's true. I mean, listen, he did get a haircut. We cannot rule that out yet, okay? Because we have seen we numerous cannot. video video evidence of that haircut bothering his shot before. It's gone oh now. Gosh. So maybe I mean, I'm not. He's not going to turn into a 40% three point shooter, but really, <laughs> he's Jameer Nelson. That hair. <laughs> they would love that. I mean, they need they need shooting. But uh, oh, really, what it comes down to is. With DeMarcus Cousins, you know, if they had re-signed DeMarcus Cousins, that would have been, like, the nice move and the, the routine move. But let's face it, he's going to miss the first couple months of the season most most likely. And by adding Randall, who can play right away, um, they're just going to be better than if they were had just brought back Cousins instead of adding Randall. Um, I think Randall can th- – I mean, I, I think Randall in New Orleans is one of my favorite signings of the offseason. I mean, he, he can really thrive in this system. Holiday, we saw basically once Cousins went down with the injury and especially in the playoffs, Holiday cemented himself as a star player. If he can play like that for the regular season alongside AD, Miritich and Randall and those kind of role players, each one more, Darius Miller, they can get Solomon Hill back to 2016 level. This team won, I think, 48 games last year. Again, another team that I would fairly confidently predict to win 50 games. Um, I just love the Randall signing. Peyton is is bleh to me. I, I just don't think he's going to improve that much, but maybe the system could be good for him. But Holiday and AD, surrounded by Miritich, Randall, and role players, that could be 50 wins with the way they play in the Western Conference. Oh, yeah. I, I, I like the flexibility with Julius Randall and Anthony Davis. I do think maybe another guard over Alfred Payton. I was actually a, a, a huge um, supporter of bringing back Rondo just for how good he was with his young guys and the chemistry that he had with AD. Um but okay, you bring out for Payton. You bring out for Payton in for cheap. That's not bad. Uh, Fifty wins, eh, only because I mean I I love Randall. I love Julius Randall, and I like I like him and Anthony Davis. And I've already stated that. But I don't know if I, I I give a lot more respect and a lot more credit to Demarcus Cousins for how him and AD kind of motored along for the first part of that for the for the first part of the season before Cousins went down. And I think that. That brief resurgence of having, you know, the revelation of, oh, you know, Miritich and AD play well together kind of carried them the second half of the season, well, the, the latter half of the year and the playoffs. But I think that maybe, you know, come the start of this season, teams will be more onto it. Um, and I feel like DeMarcus Cousins is one of those players where that front court, I mean, inside outside, both of them could play. They're, that inside outside game isn't really there now because Randall is good at bringing the ball up down. Um, just uh, a terror on the break. We kind of already went on to all the good qualities he has, but one of the things we didn't mention is shooting because he's not a good shooter. AD is is a decent shooter. He's a great shooter from mid-range and out. He's got himself into a decent shooter from three, but that, that takes away more of his strength from playing at center and kind of being close to the basket in that way. So I, I, I just don't know if... I can see it being really well and getting maybe like 40... Let's say 42 to 45 wins. Um, and I do give credit to Alvin Gentry and putting players in lineups and mixing it up you know, he's a really good coach in that in that respect. But I think the loss of DeMarcus Cousins is more than most people are, are, are giving credit to, in, in my own personal opinion. We might this might be the team we disagree the most on, I think. I think <laughs> we I think we finally found a team that we might actually disagree on. We usually have very similar uh, 
strategies and, and thought processes here. But um, yes, sir. <laughs> I think, yeah, I, I agree with you. Uh, Gentry is going to have to get really creative when he puts Randall on the floor, um, especially with AD. I think the fit is a little bit more natural with Miritich as a power forward center combination. Uh, when he's playing with when he's playing with AD on offense, Randall's going to be the guy kind of banging down low, um, and AD is going to be more of the guy spacing the floor. And maybe in those lineups, they need more of their shooters like Moore and Darius Miller on the floor instead of a guy like Solomon Hill and Alfred Payton. Maybe that's the case. Um, on the defensive end, you know you got Randall. I mean Randall, AD kind of being that real rim protector in terms of blocking shots, but Randall's the guy, and listen, AD was hesitant to play center full-time because of that physical toll on his body, uh, especially, you know, in, in previous years when he used to get injured a lot, now he's, you know, less injury-prone, but Randall's the guy who can take that physical contact, and actually, he actually wants it, so maybe that'll help out AD even more on the defensive end in terms of Randall being the guy that bruises down low, and AD kind of rotates as that that kind of free safety in football where he's looking for the way to defend the rim and, and, you know, rotate over and, you know, take a step away from his man if his man can't shoot or something like that. I think that the offensive fit is more questionable than the defensive fit in terms of those two. Um, but I look at it as this, is that the combinations they have with their front court paired with, I think, a true star in Drew Holiday if he plays like last season um, – gives me enough potential i mean if they can you know if their role players can step up and still hit threes like etuan moore and darius miller again if solomon hill they gave him that contract and he kind of stunk it up that got injured if he can revert back to that 2016 form that actually kind of earned him the contract even though it was an overpay um <laughs> that's huge because he gives them something of a three and d wing something of a, some I mean, the only kind of real p- potential Semblance three and d wing. exactly um that's huge there as well their depth isn't great but I think that their system, they, I think they just found the recipe. And I know you're saying, like, maybe teams catch on, you know, for a full offseason and, they, you know, it's not just happening in the middle of the season. But yeah. once they move to AD at center, they increase that pace to the tops in the league. And you add a guy who actually thrives in transition like Randall and maybe a guy like Peyton who can thrive in transition. There are questions about the shooting, questions about the fit in certain lineups. But I think that if they get creative enough and, listen, in the regular season, and this is why, you know, winning 50 games in the regular season is, like, a, a good thing, but also, like, People can do it. You know, you can win games in the regular season with an elite offense that just, you know, every night you just catch a team off guard by playing at such a fast pace. Um, second nights, back to backs, or three game, three nights in four games, uh, three games in four nights. Let's <laughs> say three nights in four games. <laughs> but catching those teams off guard with this fast paced system and these physical bruisers in, in Randall. I think that can get them 50 wins just by in the regular season. Now in the playoffs, you know the fit could catch up to them and they can lose in the first round. Who knows? But they could also sweep somebody like they did last year as a, as a six seed. So this seems really interesting. It's hard to predict, but I have more. I think I have more confidence in the fit, and maybe I have, maybe I'm giving Gentry too much confidence. But I thought that last season they kind of found something that it worked, and they kind of they might have upgraded it for the first couple of months with Cousins would have been out. So theoretically, if they re-signed him, they would have been missing Cousins until maybe December. So what do they do? What kind of start do they get off to there with, with just AD and Miritich and Holiday instead of Cousins? At least they got Randall now to start the season with and get off to a better start, I think. Yeah, I get you. I think this is going to be uh, interesting if we did like an over-under challenge kind of pod because then we could kind of lay it out and, you know, refer you know back what? to it. We're going to add that to our team previews. When we do a team preview, each team we're going to do it, we're going to hit the over-under on. Hey, look at us. Unless we, we forget, of course. Unless we forget. We have bad memories too, so... <laughs> We do. <laughs> All right, man. So you, I know you have one more team in that cluster. You, you want to hit them up? Yeah, I'll hit them real quick. Uh, Memphis Grizzlies. And I, I wanted to group these three teams as West playoff teams, and the Grizzlies are not. But they, I think that they could compete for a, play, a playoff spot. Again, another team that last year, they lost 60 games. But again, if they're healthy and with their offseason, 
this is a team that could be in the same boat as the Spurs in terms of win totals. So basically the Grizzlies offseason can be summarized as going back to grit and grind. Um, I, I mean, once I say Jaron Jackson Jr., you know I'm just going to light up because I just think that he's going to yeah. be an absolute stud uh, from the draft. Javon Carter in the second round, perfect you know, grit and grind point guard for them. Um, I'm pretty high on the Kyle Anderson signing as a playmaking win that can a playmaking wing that can defend for them. They kind of need that additional playmaker next to Mike Conley. They can use another defender on the wing. Since we last talked about them, I don't remember the last time we did. I guess the last time we talked was about the Anderson trade, but uh, Anderson signing. They made a trade for a very good 3 and D wing in Garrett Temple, getting rid of guys, uh, Deontay Davis and Ben McLemore, that were either going to be cut or out of the rotation. Um, so I love that trade in terms of Temple, who shot 39% on threes. He's declining, but he can still provide some defense there. It comes down to health, right? Because if Conley and Gasol stay healthy, I think this team absolutely has top 10 defensive potential. Um, and, you know, we've seen in the years past the Grizzlies, but they have their defense right and they're healthy and they're engaged and not clashing with their coaches in the locker room. Um, they can actually compete for the playoffs. I'm not going to predict them to make it, but I don't think it's crazy for a jump to go from 22 wins last year to, you know, 42, honestly, because of the health of Mike Conley. Um you know, I just think that overall, they entered the offseason with limited flexibility, but they were still able to add a future franchise cornerstone in Jaron Jackson Jr. Perfect grit and grind players in Carter, Temple, and Anderson, who's just 24, kind of fits in that young core, you know, that they're collecting with Ander- with uh, Jackson and Carter and etc. and Dylan Brooks. Um, they added smart players, young players for the future, solid veterans, you know, Garrett Temple, more shooting in terms of Temple, and a bunch of depth. I think that's and- a good move for them. And more playmaking. You can't forget they signed uh, Orlando Magic assist leader Shelvin Mack. <laughs> 3.9 assists per game. Led the Magic. <laughs> oh, man. But on a, ser- <laughs> a more serious note, actually, I will be having yeah. – I was actually writing uh, for Grizzly Bear Blues of SB Nation about their shooting um, because I think that there is a way for the Grizzlies offense to actually improve dramatically just by just shooting more three-pointers, whether they go in or not. Um, so I – one you know one of these days this week look out for me uh, on my Twitter for that article but I analyzed certain lineups that could maximize the three point shooting and they're gonna have to improve their offense because if they are a top ten defense but like the twenty eighth ranked offense they're gonna be in trouble but if they can get a top twenty offense and a top ten defense I see them fighting for the playoffs up until you know early April honestly oh yeah I mean just by having Marcus Sala and Mike Conley back as you already mentioned I think it's a, a start in the right direction because I look at last season as a bit of a misnomer I mean injuries kind of hit hard. Um, the coaching debacle of getting rid of Fizdale, which I still think was just a horrible choice. I'm not even going to go into J.B. Bickerstaff because he'll just make me lose my mind here. Oh, but, God. you know, it was it was, <laughs> it was was outside factors that kind of contributed to the down of the season. Now, yes, with as strong as the West has gotten this year, you can have them all healthy, and I doubt they make the playoffs. However, you already mentioned Jaron Jackson. He, he brings a different dynamic um, offensively as well as defensively. I mean, he blocked four shots a game and shot 50% for three in the summer league. Like, just in, in general, having that presence will help. Learning from Marc Gasol, who does almost the same thing. Well, not almost. Pretty much the exact same thing as far as defensive savvy as well as stretching out the floor. Mike Conley, you already mentioned, if they shoot more threes, I mean, come on now. Fizdale's trying to tell them. But, you know, you already have, if they open up their offense a bit more, you know, diversify a little bit more, they're, they're a tough team. I mean, if, if we get some good play out of Kyle Anderson, who will probably, I, I think you agree as far as penciling in as their starting small forward, um, get at least anything out of Chandler Parsons, and you already have Dylan Brooks and Javon Carter, you already kind of ran down the list here, but yeah, why not? I say, what, high 30s, low 40s? And again, we're not going to do this for every team, but I think I'm using that as a parameter to show how how decent they will be. <laughs> I agree with you. 
Exactly. I think last year was just a complete anomaly because of the health and the weird situation. But listen, Fizdell did have one. It might not. It obviously didn't work between him and Gasol, but he did leave a lasting impression on Gasol because Gasol attempted, I think, 4.4 three-pointers per game last yeah. year. That should only increase. I think that Fizdell did get to him before they started clashing that more three-pointers is better. It's just a modern game, modern offense, especially if you can hit them like Gasol has at around a league average rate. So that's why I've got Grizzlies grouped in with Nuggets as Pel- and Pelicans. No, I think Nuggets and Pelicans will comfortably be better teams, but those three teams, I think, in the West were teams I wanted to focus on for having good off-seasons. Oh yeah, I just want to end the Grizzlies conversation on the fact that Fizdo died for their sins. You know, he's he's <laughs> he's <laughs> he like Sam Hinkie now, <laughs> for real. All right, man. Do you want to hit up uh, some losers here then? Yeah, let's get negative. Let's get negative. Okay, I'm, I'm gonna just because I know how much. Well, I it doesn't cause any more because come on out. I just want to put this out there. Eric Spropolis covers the NBA. He's not tied down to any one team. With that being said. The Houston Rockets are a loser, and I take great pleasure in reminding Eric of that fact. <laughs> oh, I haven't. Oh, they're number. They're number two. I mean, I didn't rank my losers, but they're the second team I put as in my memory as a loser. So. Oh yeah, I mean, I had I had to bring him up here because you bring back you bring in Chris Paul, you bring back Chris Paul, you retain him. Great. You're gonna be paying him like something north of eighty million over his age thirty five and thirty six year old season or thirty six year season. That that's not cool in my opinion. You lose. Your two veteran three and D forwards in Trevor Ariza and Luke Mbamute. Um, and you bring in uh, Carmelo Anthony, transaction pending, and Michael Carter Williams and um, James Ennis. Who else? James Ennis, thank you. See, he's so forgetful, I forgot. But I'm saying in the sense, they're solid pieces. I mean, I, I actually am, I like James Ennis as a player. But you can't tell me that the two wings that really, I mean, mind you, Bamute was battling a little bit of an injury come that conference finals, that shoulder. But they were really almost the catalyst of that 61 season with a James Harden, with a Chris Paul, and obviously Clint Capella, who will be back. And you take those two out, the gap has widened between the Golden State Warriors and the Houston Rockets. There's no way to, to kind of make smooth that over or make that what it is. Also, in paying Chris Paul what you what you, what he is getting paid, and yes, he you need if you were going to bring him back, and you were, you need to pay him that money. But to bring him in and have James Harden, they're going to be both combining for like. 80 million in like two or three seasons, which will make it harder when James Harden is losing, leaving his prime, and Chris Paul will be almost firmly past it to bring in other players around that. And that's kind of the market. That's not really a knock on them for any moves they made, but in the sense that I don't think they're taking advantage of the window they have now by letting go of Bamute and Trevor Reza, no matter what the cost was, because it's going to be expensive either way. And if you sign them the money now and then got them off the books in like, let's say Trevor Reza had one year, 15 million. I, I, in my own opinion, you give something closer to that. Yeah, you're going to be in like tax heaven or hell, whatever. But it's you not heaven. You're paying that much money. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but you bring back a player who he he was definitely serviceable. He was a part of that culture. He was probably the best wing that you had to stick Kevin Durant. In my own personal opinion, I mean James Ennis and Carmelo Anthony would not get it done. Michael Carter Williams is the secret weapon that nobody wished for. So. That right there is that right there is why I have them losers. But I want to get more of your take because I'm sure you have more of a, a analytical like even killed look. But once Bamute left, I was like signed, still delivered. I mean, even if you brought back uh, Bamute after Trevor Ariza left, it would still be a big blow. I mean, not even the culture because it is a business and we get that. But you know, just bringing that whole group back, you were a game out of the Western Conference Finals. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't know if we'll be looking back on this this time next offseason saying, oh. Well, they got that close. 
Yeah, I've got I got a bunch of thoughts. I think that all right. My into bad. actually analyzing their offseason. I think that you brought up something about you know this core, and it's really unfortunate because had it not be, is it not for this kind of Warriors team, we would be reflect, we would be thinking about different teams in the league so differently, like. 30, 40 years from now. I mean, because 30, 40 years from now, people will remember, oh, you know, the Rockets pushed them. They won 65 games. They had a fun, you know, they had the MVP, almost made the finals. But without, if the Warriors weren't what they were, we'd be talking about, oh, the Rockets, they were the champions this season. Uh, you know, they most likely would have won the title if they beat the Warriors. Um, and, yeah. they, you know, this this run that they're about to go on slash have been on since basically the hardened time, it's been, they've been eliminated by the Warriors three times in the playoffs, twice in the conference finals. What happens if the Warriors aren't who they are, you know, exactly? I mean, the first time they lost to them, this wasn't, you know, it wasn't this monster Warriors team, but still. Um, that was just an overarching thing because I think that the Warriors are going to change our perspective on teams when we, when we, people ask us about the, you know, what were the 2017-18 Rockets like? Well, they won 65 games at the MVP, but they could have been the champions, you know, something like that. But anyways, that was a ramble. But let me get into their actual offseason because... <laughs> I'm um, for it. It's all good. <laughs> well, we've already... I already... I talked about... It was our last episode, or maybe the one before, when we were analyzing. No, it was the last one when Mbamute had, had lost, had uh, signed with the Clippers. Um, I had we already talked about how this comes down to, or at least the Ariza signing comes down to, Tillman Fertitta not wanting to pay as much luxury tax as he said he would pay throughout the regular season. He made all those comments. I'll pay what I'll pay whatever it takes. You know, you he was basically he said uh, you pay whatever it takes to keep a, a contending team together. Well, you apparently not because you didn't pay whatever it takes. <laughs> um, so it's just it's a bad look right. for him. Um, it is what it is. They didn't reason. The Mbamute one is interesting because they could have given him more money with their uh, taxpayer mid-level exception, I believe, which would have been 5.3 million. Um, and he got he he signed with the Clippers for 4.3. So that looks more of like a front office saying Hmm, maybe that shoulder injury is lingering more than we thought, or you know, maybe he's not going to be as good this year. Maybe let's just replace him with Ennis. I think what will happen, and I'm not going to guarantee this, but I am very confident that James Ennis will be a solid replacement for one of those two, and he'll probably actually look even better than those two do next season on offense at least. I think that Ariza going to Phoenix, um, I think that there's a lot of potential for James Ennis to have a better offensive season just playing alongside Harden and Chris Paul um, and Capella um, on offense than a guy like Ariza does in Phoenix. And people will be saying, oh, remember when you killed the Rockets for letting Ariza go and Ennis is doing so much better than him offensively and is still playing decent defense. Yeah, that'll happen. We'll see it on Twitter, blah, blah, blah. It'll be annoying, whatever. Rockets fans on Twitter are so annoying. I can't stand them, honestly. They just they tra- really are, man. They trash oh me God. all the time. I'm, I'm, I'm one of the more critical people uh, on Twitter, I think, especially for the Rockets, and every time I get trashed. But anyways... But sure, Ennis can be a solid replacement for one of those guys, and they're gonna—they can still be bound to have a good offseason. Ennis, I like. We we both like Ennis. Mello, yeah, fine. He he'll be okay offensively if he—he'll be good offensively. He buys in. Um, just train wreck defensively. We signed Capella. Hopefully not for that qualifying offer. You want him on that long-term deal, so start paying up a little bit more if you want to get him. DeAnthony Melton, we're not talking about. Looks like he could be the steal in the draft. Just watching a couple of games of his from Summer League. Um, don't want to get into it, but I think that, and everyone on Twitter is buzzing about him. I think that he could be a, a sneaky piece as a, just a kind of a rotation guy to soak up some minutes. But what's going to happen is they're going to win, you know, 57 plus games. I, I saw, what was that on Twitter? I think it was Fox Sports who someone, I think it was Jason McIntyre predicted the Rockets to win 45 games next year. That's a yeah, 20, oh, he... that's a 20 win decrease. People forget that they won 65 <laughs> games last year. So 
even and you're gonna you're gonna tell me that Ariza and Mbamute are worth more than like eight wins. They're combined. worth ten games apiece. I mean, them and LeBron are like a difference yeah, maker. Basically, there. right? Um, they're gonna win. 50, they're gonna win fifty-seven or more games. They could honestly even win sixty in the regular season because the way they play Harden and all their guys more minutes than they should. They'll probably they're gonna be a top three seed. Um, but what it comes down to is they are just not contenders to knock off Golden State anymore. They are not contenders. Sure, maybe they win one or two games in a series by just getting hot shooting, but they don't have the defense to keep up with the Warriors, and their offense got locked down last last year in the conference finals against the Warriors, and they had the defense to make up for that, but this year they don't. They don't. Um, I think Melo was going to kill them defensively. His offensive fit is still TBD, depending on if he accepts the role, um, how they stagger him. I think that he, he could. I think that he'll play better in Houston that he did in OKC because D'Antoni will probably stagger him with his best buddy Chris Paul. Maybe his best buddy Chris Paul convinces him to accept his role maybe more. Some I just feel like he'll play better in Houston. They've got more natural playmakers in Harden and Paul than Westbrook and George. Um, but it's not going to be good. It's going to be terrible defensively. And this can be a solid replacement for one of the three, one of the wings they got. But he's not going to be as good defensively as, as, as an Ariza or a Mabon Mute. They're going to age. They're going to. Nene is going to be 35. Can barely. He barely played last year. He's not going to play that much this year. Um, Chris Paul is going to miss probably 20, 25 games, 30 games in the regular season. Um, there's just so many concerns moving forward for the Rockets franchise, which makes it unfortunate that this prime run is running into the Warriors because this team, as constructed last year, and even this team that they're going to construct this year, would probably be a championship contender, if not favorite. But no one's gonna, no one's expecting them that, and they're not going to be anywhere close to the title this year because of the wings that they lost and how the Warriors actually improved. Exactly, and it is sad that the future narrative of this Rockets team will be looked at in a different light because of where they finished and you know, oh, they didn't get a championship in spite of all their achievements. But I am there with you, and I also think, and it's it's kind of weird, but they did go from being you know the Warriors' top contender throughout the regular season, throughout the playoffs, to now. In a playoff series, I give them maybe one win, and I give it, like you said, hot shooting. The likes of, I'm trying to think of when the Timberwolves got their one win against the Rockets last year, or when the Spurs got their one win against the Warriors in the playoffs, where they just, they're overmatched and they get one good game, and maybe another game where they're close, and the two games where they just lose in deciding fashion, and there's the series. And it's really a shame because of money, but I mean, this NBA win now, championship or bust, but also, you know, look at the big picture, financial flexibility really makes this interesting conundrum for certain teams. And it's just a shame that the Rockets had to be kind of a victim of that. But we'll see. I mean, that's why we play the games. We'll see what happens. But I think it's safe to safe to say it's, it's not the same. Yeah, so I have two natural transitions for this. One is to quickly mention that the Warriors are winners in the offseason. Oh, uh, yes, they Adding are. DeMarcus Cousins, Jonas Jurebko, solid depth piece, retained Kevon Looney. But more importantly... But more importantly, it's not that that's not that they even added anybody. They didn't have to add anybody to be winners because their competition, as we just mentioned, the Rockets got weaker. The Thunder and Jazz, I just don't see them at that level yet, um, if they ever get there, honestly. And as a, the only team that was at that level got worse. Uh, and listen, Cousins might not work, right? Um, but take the chance on such an elite player um, when he's healthy. He can also space the floor for them, which is actually something they could use besides the Splash Bros and KD. They need more shooting. Um, but forget it. I don't even want to talk about the players they added. Just they're winners for their competition getting weaker. And that's just how it is. Another year of continuity. Who cares if Cousins blows up in the face? It's a one-year deal. They can get rid of him. They can probably win the title even if he is a cancer in the locker room anyway. So the Warriors I have as a winner and a natural transition I have as a loser quickly is just competition <laughs> like oh yeah straight up let's be blunt about it because we know golden, we know golden state is gonna win we know barring crazy injuries golden state is winning 
the 2018-2019 NBA championship. I'm saying that on 12.01 right a.m. on July 23rd. So almost 12, it's are. like 11 months from the finals. I'm already saying it. But really, for up, it's up to us as fans and analysts, et cetera, whatever, to generate other reasons to have compelling interest in the season or to have a compelling season overall. And for us, it's easy to do that, right? We, I mean, we could talk for an hour about the Pelicans. Okay, we could talk about yeah. an hour about the Kings. I'm, well, that's pushing it maybe. But uh, I just think <laughs> that – Regardless of what the ratings say, for the most part, ratings ratings in the regular season have been increasing. And finals ratings, for the most part, have been increasing, but there was a slight dip last year because it was a blowout. Um, there's no doubt in my mind that the league is definitely concerned about Golden State's dominance. I mean, it's just not good for casual sports fans that are looking for that unpredictability. For the diehards, they're not losing any diehard NBA fans because, again, they can watch League Pass of you know, Pelicans, Grizzlies, Nuggets, Clippers on a nightly basis or whatever. But for those casual fans looking to tune into the NBA and get more into the NBA, a lot of them look for unpredictability and upsets and Cinderella stories, and you don't get that with the Warriors' dominance. Um, so for the most part, competition is a loser in this offseason. Oh, yeah. It, it, it's just, I mean, in the age of Golden State, all we can do right now is hope to put a fight and probably get a win or two in if you're a Lakers fan. Yay! We have LeBron James, and we can look to next year. But um, yeah, it's just that's just kind of the way it is now. I mean, even even the All Star race will just be hilarious because basically Kawhi Leonard, who would have made it this year, went to the East, and then Demar Derozan came here. But it was a tough out last year. You had like four or five snubs. Lou Williams had a significant case, a significant case to make an All Star game last year, and because of the depth out there, really had no chance. And I mean, that's just kind of the way it is in general. But just the West being so tough and the Warriors having – I mean, they're not even going to have to play LeBron in the finals. I mean, there's a chance they can get through the Western Conference playoffs without touching LeBron. And then when you go to the East, I mean, Boston's good. Okay. Toronto, great if Kawhi's, if Kawhi's healthy and that works out well. But there isn't really – basically, long story short, there isn't a significant challenge for this year. Therefore, I agree with you as far as them winning the 2018-2019 championship. But, you know – why, like you said, why do we play the games, even if we already know? <laughs> exactly. Um, all right, I've got, uh, I got, uh-huh. I got three winners left, and I got uh, one more loser left. So what do you got? We got winner. Let's get positive. Let's get positive. Come on. Yeah. Too much doom and gloom here. Okay, I have a winner. Um, outside the box, player specific, Zach Levine, twenty-three years old. I actually, I group him into a different group of winners, but yeah, go ahead. Ah, uh, see, yeah, I kind of went down. I get that though, but you know. 23 years old, all offense, no defense. I'm um, coming off an ACL injury, and you somehow leverage a deal for four years, something north of what, 78 million from the Kings, the Kangs of all people. Chicago matches, but it's no difference because you get your money. And so, props to you because it, this is supposed to be a very lukewarm free agency, and for some it was. I mean, Jabari Parker got paid what, 10 million more than Julius Randle, and a different situation. So, and that, and that, that I'm just saying that to show how, you know, some restricted free agents actually got a little bit of a come up and others did not we still have Clint Capella just languishing on the market even though he will come back but for Zach Levine to kind of go into the same lukewarm kind of tepid market that all these other restrictive free agencies did and somehow come away with that contract that's a win by anyone's estimation so there's a winner there for me let's uh let's break it down for what it is offense gets you paid that's what it is Levine and Parker are the the examples (laughs) because Marcus Smart got $12 million a year, and Jabari Parker got $20 million a year. If you want a winning team, you take Smart 10 times out of 10. But, of course, offense, get, putting up those offensive numbers, and you know, Smart is more of a unique player that might not fit really well everywhere else and 
again, the Bulls are signing Parker to play small four. That's not exactly fitting in. But um, both him and Levine are 100% only offense players, basically. I mean, Parker literally said uh, – they had an exact quote, basically. It said, I don't care about defense. So it was something about, like, defense <laughs> – Oh, yeah, they don't get paid, paid to – Exactly. Exa- that's exactly what it is. It just wins the championships. That's all. It's exactly what it is. I mean, that that mindset one is is concerning for him as a player, but two is exactly why he and Levine got the big bucks and guys like Smart, um, Randall, who's you know more of a balanced player. Clint Capella is definitely you know gives you bo- on both ends of the floor. But again, those guys are getting small deals or not getting you know deals at all at the moment. Um, we've already discussed the actual Parker and Levine and whatever signings in the previous episodes, but basically I grouped. Levine and Parker together as winners of being young, offensive-minded, restricted free agents. Um, that's what they like are, that. and that's how they got paid. If they were defensive-minded, they're going to get market smart deals or still be on the market right now. But they got paid. They had the offensive numbers. They got the potential. They got the athleticism, and that gets them paid over defense, you know, grit and grind kind of mentalities, um, guys that really can't shoot that well, et cetera. So that's why I have them as winners, young, offensive-minded, restricted free agents. Hey, I like the way you kind of classified them because it did work. Um, another winner, I guess you could say, is Namaje uh, Bielitsa. Uh, he got a pretty good contract from the Kings, secure that bag. Um, these are players that are, you know, kind of almost – they're definitely flawed in certain areas, um, but they got more money than were expected out of them, and, and that's a win in their book. Uh, let's get a win from you, though. I mean, we already got, we already got basically Jabari and, and uh, Zach Levine here. Uh, Do we have, like, another team or – yeah, I've got a team. I want to hit on that uh, Bielitsa one because I grouped. I oh yeah. I had I put this Just in a loser over. category. I know I hate to be negative, but I put them. <laughs> I put the Kings. I put the Kings as a loser, and I also put the teams that the Kings stole players from as losers. <laughs> <laughs> Just I went mean, all the way. Let's talk about how the Kings were the team that were able to convince two players to back out of deals. Anyways, but um, wow, Yogi, Fer- Yogi Ferrell and Nemanja Bielitsa. Two players they signed. They're solid players. I actually I like both of them. But why commit future money with them, especially Bielitsa? I mean, they already have such a log jam in their front court. I mean, it's unbelievable how many big men they have. And Bielitsa's best position is that power forward. Looks like he's going to play more at small forward, kind of like Jabari Parker with the Bulls. Um, but really, it doesn't make sense for them, the Kings, to give a three-year, $20 million deal for 30-year-old Nemanja Bielitsa. Think, people think he's like 25 because he hasn't been in the league for a while. He's 30 years old already. Um, Yogi Ferrell <laughs> is, I think, a two-year, $6 million deal. He's only 25. That I'm, I'm more okay with that signing. But the Bielitsa one doesn't make sense in terms of kid, committing money to a guy who's going to be leaving his prime soon at, at a position or basically at an area of the court, the front court, where they have such a log jam, and especially their number two overall pick, Marvin Bagley. Um it just doesn't make sense to me. And then, you know, the teams, obviously, that they quote-unquote stole the players from, I mean, it's just so funny that the Kings were the team that got players to back out of deals, especially Bielitsa with a contending Sixers team. Um, but listen, as you said, he secured the bag. What he was looking for was long-term money, not just a one-term deal to contend. He, you know, winning wasn't his priority. He almost went back to Europe to get more money and, and more, you know, comfort and assurance of money. But the Kings stepped in and said, we'll give you three years and we'll give you $20 million. He said, of course, I don't care about winning. It's fine. Um, so I, I have the Kings. <laughs> oh, wow. I mean, it's really what I'll it, sell it for winning. It's yeah. what it is, honestly. I mean, I have the Kings as losers for committing money, long-term money to him. I like him as a player, but just doesn't fit with their team uh, timeline-wise. Um, and I have the teams that they stole players from also as losers. But that, I just want to touch on that because you brought up Bielicha. I thought it was more of a natural transition. Oh, yeah. I mean, if we're going by losers as well, by extension, I have to give uh, the Cavs that L. Because oh. if the Lakers get the W, oh, I have, you're getting the best player. I, uh-huh. have, I have losers 
is a uh, bullet bullet point Cavs, and then the subsequent bullet point is they lost LeBron. Then next team. That's just what that's <laughs> that's what it is. That's hey, the I analysis. Like <laughs> that's the high really end analysis is. we got here. That's why you come to the ninety four Fear Report podcast, <laughs> yo. This is what we give you every night now. Playing, but um, I actually am intrigued to see. I mean, this is the thing. And it, 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 for for a fan or for myself, it's going to be an interesting kind of case study to watch. Um, okay, we lose our best player, but you know what? We didn't really have a B option in case he left, so we're just going to roll back the same roster with our draft pick and without the best player and see what happens. Um, you would have thought after 2010 that the Cavs would have learned a little bit more as far as having a, a contingency plan in place. But in this case, I guess they were comfortable with rolling back the same team, um, having Kevin Love, who can now be their their kind of um, main man moving forward. He doesn't have to worry about fitting in or fitting out anymore, as he had the last four years. He can just play his game. Um, you bring back – well, you don't bring back Jarrett Smith. Jarrett Smith is still there. George Hill. Um, Colin Sexton, I think, was a good pickup for them. I don't like the fact that he's not really a consistent outside shooter, but he does bring – um, that toughness, that 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 grittiness, you know, he'll flex on him as we already saw in summer league. That's worth something. Um, Jordan Clarkson, who had a horrible playoff series, but I I'm still high on as a kind of combo guard who's only 25 going on 26. Um, supposed to bring back Rodney Hood. There's interesting pieces. That, I mean, even in the East, with as weak as the East is, if Kevin Love, if Minnesota Kevin Love is still there and has not been totally just destroyed by the fitting out LeBron error, then I think they have a case to kind of be in that, like, six or seven spot. There's definitely six teams, in my opinion, that are better than them. But I think they can kind of linger around there because George Hill is a solid player. Jared Smith can probably play more of a of a role that he did in 2013, 2014. Um, you know, kind of, I'm kind of leveraging his diminishing game with the fact that before LeBron came, he was a little bit more than an off-ball shooter. Um, he could create his own shot to dribble, and that's worth something. Um you still have Larry Nance Jr. and some other pieces, so I think that's great. But really, I'm just saying there's a long wound about to, you know, cover up for the fact that once you, LeBron leaves you, you go from a team that has made the finals four straight years when he came to you're not making the finals, Cleveland. You might not make the playoffs. In fact, I saw something funny. Um, the uh, Cleveland DMV uh, has a picture of LeBron in a Lakers jersey under the spot where you um, take your picture in the camera so that you don't smile. It, it, it's like it's like a little funny joke. Oh, don't be smiling, don't be smiling. Oh, look at that, bam. So I thought that was kind of funny, but they're 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 a loss. I probably spent more time on them than any person should for a losing team. Well, I mean, they're in an interesting crossroads, and it, it, this is a team that I, I mean, I just don't see them making the playoffs. I mean, I know the East is really really weak, well, but that's I mean, what I'm saying. Though. Yeah, they could they could compete, but I think it's better. So their first their 2019 first round pick is protected one through ten, and yeah. otherwise they give it away to Atlanta. This is the opportunity to – they didn't have a contingency – I guess they kind of have a contingency plan you know, through Colin Sexton. But really, if they want to have a real contingency plan, they rebuild for this season by trading Love and the other veterans and making sure they keep their pick, get it to the top three, top five pick, add that to Colin Sexton, Larry Nance, etc. You've got something there. I'm not sure there's any point to trying to keep making the playoffs with this roster – because let's face it, they're going to be eliminated the first round, even if they make, if if they get it in, if they get in the playoffs. If they don't get in the playoffs, they're just stuck in that kind of mediocrity phase. This is the time where they could really start a rebuild with Sexton, next year's pick if they bottom out for one year, Larry Nance, whatever young pieces they can pick up, Osmond, whatever, etc. 
and, and go for it with a new Cavs core. That's what I would be doing. I know it's a bold thing to do, a bold thing to sell to your fans, but honestly, I think the fans might take it. I mean, they've had four straight finals. they got a championship. They know LeBron left kind of happy and peacefully. Maybe the fans would actually understand. Maybe the fans know. Listen, you tell them. The only way we're going to get our pick is if it's in the top 10. We've got to bottom out to be a top 10, a bottom 10 team. So let's make it bad. Get a pick. Add it to... Sexton, Nance, other young role players, and you've actually got something to contend in the East moving forward once these other top teams kind of age out maybe, um, like the Raptors or something like that. So that's what I'd be doing if I was Cavs. Obviously, I feel like I'm always telling teams to rebuild because I think it's just just terrible for teams to be stuck in mediocrity. And I think that there's a way here. They could have cap space next year too, um, depending on what they do with Rodney Hood and stuff like that. Um, They can actually – there's a way here for them to actually start a coherent rebuild Unlike you know the last time LeBron left, so, I mean that's, I just think that they should go that path, but it remains to be seen. But um, yeah, I get you. I was about to say, having been on doing this with you for a minute now, I think most teams that are like on that cusp, you're like, you know, what, man, just just rebuild, just start fresh. <laughs> you know, let's not even play this game, just rebuild. <laughs> so as soon as I said that, it was interesting to look at the roster as is. I knew you were going to say, you know what, man, nah, I like it. It's going to be kind of cool to watch, but just rebuild, you know. I like it, though. It's interesting. I think they're in a good path where, I mean, fans are going to probably show up either way. I mean, in the sense that I don't think you lose either way because eventually Kevin Love's going to be gone. Whether you, I mean, eventually Kevin Love, George Hill, those players are going to be buyout guys or on the trade block come February, whether or not it's, you know, before the season starts or three or four months down the line. I don't think you end the season with all those players that you started with. Kyle Korver will almost certainly be gone, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, all right, so I'll get a little bit more positive. I have one more team as a winner. It's the Brooklyn Nets. Um, I Basically, what had happened was you know, they've been doing this for a couple of years now, basically since uh, Sean Marks took over as GM, but they continue to add assets, most notably that Nuggets first-round pick. Um, they signed quality bench pieces like Shabazz Napier, Trevon Graham, uh, Trevion Graham, excuse me, um, and Ed Davis. Uh, they aren't home run moves, um, but they've created cap space for summer of 2019. They've added a first round pick from the Nuggets. When they finally have their own first round pick, finally the Nets have their picks back. Um, it's kind of ironic that they finally have their picks back, but they added three nice role players that actually could give them more wins this season when they probably should do one more rebuild season. Um, but that's what it is. Um, and, you know, I think that there's a concern maybe that the, maybe these signings that they made and adding the players and the cohesion that they have from their other young players developing, maybe it gives them too many wins this season um, because I think that they should probably tank one more time since they have their own pick. Use that pick to get one more top five player. Well, not one more. They don't have any on their roster right now. But um, add a top five player to the young guys they have on their core right now, and then they start competing with their 2019 cap space. I think that they... Added role players for cheap, that might help them win a little bit too much this season. But again, adding the assets like a first-round pick that just taking salary is what all these teams with the cap space, the bad teams like the Hawks, who kind of did it, um, and the Kings should have been doing. But the Nets are doing it continuously. It's why they're respected front office, why they get praised on, on, on Twitter. But also the other role player signings know kind of shows that they can identify talent. So come the time that they're building a contending team, I have confidence in them to fill their roster out with quality role players because they've been doing it ever since Sean Marks took over. So I have them as winners. Oh yeah, most definitely. They made the right moves in the margins. Um, I agree with you in the sense that I didn't put them as winners in my book only because personally I would have hoped that you know this is the first year they keep the draft pick, they would lose a little bit more. 
um, or at least put the supposition to lose a little bit more. So, you know, you don't make any, you don't really make any moves. You kind of put the ball in D'Angelo Russell's hands when he gets healthy. I like the fact that they got rid of Jeremy Lin in the sense that you have Spencer Dinwiddie and D'Angelo already, so you don't have to worry about any potential log jam there. Oh, and Shabazz Napier, who you just brought in. So there you go with there. There's at least something of a pecking order. But you really evaluate the team, in my opinion, and I feel kind of like you in this case, where I say you kind of set yourself up as far as rebuilding is concerned with playing through D'Angelo Russell and Rondé Hollis-Jefferson and really seeing – what they all have for the second straight year in Russell's case and the third in – well, the fourth almost in Hollis Jefferson's case because they're both coming up for restricted free agency soon and you have your pick back and then you can really start next year on the road to relevancy. But either way, they brought in a, 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 a solid kind of cast of players here who with Ed Davis will give you leadership. I like Travion Graham as a swingman. I like Shabazz Napier as a backup guard. Um, they're going to be an interesting team. Uh, playoffs, no, I doubt it. Um, you know, any sub- sub- substance, substantial winning as an improvement? Probably not. But they are going to be a tough out under Kenny Atkinson's play. You know, they are going to get shots up, kind of go up and down. And Sean Marks has really been making all the right moves since he was brought in. So I'm with you. If we look at that and this offseason as a continuation of the steady kind of rebuilding that Marks has done, then, yeah, you can't help but give him a W. That, that's, that's, that's good management, good solid front office work. Yeah, and this team is interesting. I just pulled up their depth chart because, you know, they added some quality locker room presence. You know, Russell's had his issues in the locker room before. Maybe Kenneth Reed could be an issue there as well. Um, but Damari Carroll, good teammate in the presence of the locker room. Jared Dudley, arguably the best kind of locker room vet you could have in the league if they keep him. It's all indications that, they are, that they're going to keep him. This team's interesting. They could flip Damari Carroll you know, at the trade deadline for – you know, a second round pick, maybe two second round picks, add that to their collection of picks. Um, they've got a log jam at point guard, shooting guard. They've got so many interesting pieces that, you know, may not have the top end ceiling of potential. I'm big on Jared Allen. I like Harris Levert. Um, I'm a big fan of Joe Harris bringing him back as a role player there. Ronda Hill Jefferson is one of the more unique players in the NBA. They've got so many interesting pieces. Um, the way they play the game is interesting. They shoot a lot of threes. They're kind of like, they're kind of like an under-the-radar Rockets team as, as they kind of follow that philosophy of analytics-based offense, threes, and shots at the rim. Um, I'm interested to see what they do. I, I don't – I mean, we said that maybe these signings gave them a little bit too many wins this season, but obviously there's a way that they could cut that down by just not playing the good guys if they w- really wanted to tank out. There's a way they could flip some of their guys, Damari Carroll, um, Kenneth Fareed, Ed Davis. They could buy sign them to deals now. Um, in the case of Ed Davis and Fareed, basically, um, bring them in this offseason, but then also flip them at the trade deadline for teams that are looking for big men or a solid wing defender in Carroll. So there is there is a potential ability for them to get worse during the season than they are now um, while still adding picks. But again, they have their picks now. They have a Nuggets pick. They've got young players that, again, don't have the high ceiling. They have the cap space. All indications are painting a rosy picture for the Nets moving forward. And you got to give credit for when Sean Marks took over, when he took over with what they had to deal with to come up to this point to actually have some kind of promise in the future. That's all you can hope for from a Nets fan and analyzing the game of, of wanting this team to be competitive once again. So I have them as winners. Whoops. My bad. I said I agree with you on everything you said there, so I'm not going to repeat anything there. But I did want to get to a loser that I thought was hilarious. Um, it's Scott Brooks. Um, you know, the Washington Wizards last year were just <laughs> – God. I'm, I'm sorry. I mean, whew. Pour one out for Scott Brooks already. We know we're going to have to pour one out for him during the season multiple times. Oh, we're going we're gonna to have to do it. It's going to be a new tradition we're going to have to start here because this is certainly going to be the case. Um, But – 
not only, you know, Scott, last year, I think there was one part, it was like a, a timeout or something, but basically, just, just the, if you were going to sum up the Wizards in a nutshell, it was like John Wall and Martian Gortat were arguing over something, I think it was some defensive lapse, and like, right next to them in a chair, just looking so sad and so depressed with Bradley Beal. So, you know, obviously, things had to be done, changes had to be made, Ernie Grunfield comes up and says, you know what, okay, I'm going to make some changes, we're going we're gonna to revamp this team right here. So they send out Martian Gortat, great. And then they say, you know, in subsequent moves, we bring back Austin Rivers. Okay, interesting. Then Jeff Green, and then finally Dwight Howard. And you're like, okay, Scott Brooks, you're gonna take this team. We're gonna put them together, and we're gonna we're gonna emphasize teamwork. And and <laughs> we have some expectations, by the way. So let's not lose sight of that because your job may or not not be on the line here. But um, the the locker room was already messy, and it's only messier now. And I was reading this um. <laughs> report on um, CBS Sports. I just have to share it here. But Dwight Howard has an astonishing record with head coaches, and I kind of knew this just offhand, but you know, he's been on so many different teams, you can't lose track of it. Um, but I'm just going to read it here. So, with the Atlanta Magic, Howard left in 2012. Stan Van Gundy was fired in 2012. Then with the Lakers, oh man, this was a sore year for me. I will never forget this year. Howard left in 2013, and then Mike D'Antoni was fired in 2014. Then Howard takes back to Houston. I'm sure you're familiar with this one. Howard left in 2016, but in that time, Kevin McKay was fired in 2015, and then J.B. Bickerstaff now retained as well in 2016. Then he went to the Hawks. Howard left in 2017. Mike Budenholzer the next year. And then lastly, um, Charlotte, Howard in 2018, Steve Clifford right behind him. It's like where Howard goes, his coaches go. All told, he's on a sixth team in the past eight years, and the six previous coaches have all left those teams during the final year or within one year of Howard leaving. So it's almost like when he comes, you know that the writing's on the wall. And, I mean, that must be scary for Scott Brooks. But I think it's just going to be interesting to see how this year goes because this is like a walking chemistry dumpster fire but with actual tangible expectations especially in the eastern conference without lebron james yeah so basically what you're telling me is we should be predicting where scott brooks is going to be coaching next year is that, that that's basically <laughs> what i mean <laughs> yes sir <laughs> yes sir i mean yeah so i mean we know the locker room is going to be i mean talk if you want a reality show of the west it's the lakers if you want the reality show of the east it's the wizards that's what we got we got teams balancing each other out in terms of re- providing entertainment on twitter every every week um they added talented players that could change their team fairly significantly like dwight howard is a different center than martian gortadas he actually gives john wall an alley-oop threat again can he stop posting up Please, someone's got to tell him to stop posting up. Just do pick and roll and defend the rim, <laughs> and you'll actually be wanted on teams. And stop being annoying in the locker Here's room, apparently. Here's six of that message. But yep. apparently he's going he's gonna to continue to ask for post-ups. That's not going to work, really. Um, Jeff Green, hit or miss. He's got to hit his threes to be really valuable on the offensive end for them. But again, he can be a go-to guy. He can be solid defensively at times. Um, maybe his previous relationship with Scott Brooks can help him out a little bit. Um, Austin Rivers, I think, is a nice little pickup for the Gortat trade. They had to get rid of Gortat anyways because that was just a mess. But adding Rivers, dynamic playma- playmaker and scorer in the backcourt could help him out. They got him, Sadoransky, um in the backcourt. Um, we'll see what they do, you know, where they distribute the minutes. But really, it's Otto Porter continuing to improve. Um, Dwight Howard buying into a different role that actually fits in. Um, Scott Brooks controlling this locker room. There is talent on this team. And maybe they're frustrated by last season's kind of disappointing season with Wall's injury and the, and the issues again. But, I mean, pressure's on for them with this core to kind of get back to the conference finals, etc., win a playoff series or whatever, get close to 50 games, etc. They can do it with this team if this team buys in in locker room. No one expects it to happen. I don't either. But I think, there's, I, I think I'm a little bit higher on the Wizards' moves overall. I think there's going to be – it could blow up in their face. But for a team like this – 
their core was kind of stuck in the mud, kind of like the Raptors. And they took a swing for it. Obviously, the Raptors <laughs> took a swing for a top-five player, and the Wizards are getting <laughs> a, a way past his prime, kind of not engaged Dwight Howard sometimes. But I, I think that their moves could work out a little bit. Maybe maybe they work out better in 2K, and that's why I'm more high on them, because it's actually oh, yeah. a talented team in 2K that kind of fits. <laughs> but I think that if these guys can buy in, and, and this locker room can be somewhat under control, they have more potential now than they did with Gortat, um, basically last season. Adding Rivers is a nice dynamic player in the in the backcourt, adding a wing player. They basically added a player at each in the backcourt and the frontcourt and on the wing. The fit, questionable. The ceiling could be raised higher, I think, with those moves. Oh, yeah. And I agree with you in that sense. I'm not at all really worried about the talent. It's more the temperament of oh, this yeah. upcoming team. Oh, we, come on. I mean, we. I'm talking positively now. We know seven months from now I'm going to be saying, oh, God, here we go. Wall punched Dwight Howard in the face in the locker room, <laughs> suspended for five oh, games. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Oh, yeah. In fact, I'm going to put out a little hot take here, and I know it's kind of early, but I think one of either um, John Wall or Bradley Beal may be moved by this time next year. Wow. In All right. It's July 23rd, so you got one year. The clock's ticking already. <laughs> All right. Uh, that's my hot take for you. Speaking of next year, I've got my last winner to kind of wrap us up, uh, or at least wrap up my part of the winners and losers. Summer of 2019. Summer of 2019 is set up to be a winner, um, and that's kind of weird because it's, it's a – season it's not a thing it's not a human it's not something that can be a winner it's not a team um but listen with all these one-year deals and the amount of teams that will actually have cap space next summer is going to be insane i mean july 1st through july 4th of next year it will not be quiet we will be here on our phones and we're going to get like seven tweets in a row of just signing after signing because teams have money and when teams have money they spend it recklessly especially on july 1st timothy mozgov um and they're going to spend money on these guys, and there's going to be so many players available. I mean, I think I think more than half the league might be available as free agents next year, um, from role players to stars to everyone in between. I think it's going to end up poorly for some players because there's just not going to be enough money to go around. Um, but there's going to be a lot of movement and a lot of excitement, and maybe next summer is when a team really ascends to be a true challenger to the Warriors because this year, between the Rockets last year, and what happened in the offseason, there could be kind of a stopgap year where the Warriors don't have much of a challenge. Maybe Celtics or Raptors. Um, but I think that next summer is going to be absolutely crazy, which, again, makes it better for us as fans and analysts. So I have summer 2019 as winners. Oh, yeah. And, and, and last but not least for me, uh, it's the East, the Eastern Conference. Um, you have four or five teams that can, you know, kind of reasonably convince themselves they have a chance to make it to the finals. Um, once LeBron James left, that whole shadow and dominance over the East over the past eight years has kind of gone. And so you have Boston, you have Philadelphia, you have um, Toronto, obviously. Um, on the outside, Indiana's competitive and tough. Washington's still there. That's five teams that can all say, okay, listen, if, if we have a good break and a strong playoff run, um, we make a, a smart, sensible move at the trade deadline, maybe pick up a, a buyout guy at the buyout market a little bit afterwards, we can make it to the finals. And I think, I mean, for the East, it's parity, and I know that's all in all not a super huge great thing. And the disparity between whatever the East brings up as an offering to this finals that will happen <laughs> against the Warriors is going to be just what it is. But for for other teams, the chance to say, okay, here's our time to break through. And I think if, if you are one of the organizations, you might see – I mean, you saw Toronto make a move with – Kawhi, a uh, swing now, we can go for it kind of move. And who knows what the season will hold. But just like last year, I think that's another win. I'm just going to throw this in real quick. For us NBA fans, last year we had free agency come and go, and, you know, some crazy stuff went down. And then all of a sudden, later on, Kawhi demanded trade, and 
bam, we were there, and the moves happened there. And before you know it, the season started, and the world went into that, and the seven games between the Rockets, the Warriors, and the finals. And here we are now, and I think it's a win that, barring any significant moves you know, over the next, I don't know, two weeks or so, and unless someone demands a trade or something, we might finally get a chance to take a break and catch our breaths and, and just rest up and, and kind of take our eyes away from the analytics and, and, and the numbers and, and the arguments. And, I mean, some of us basketball at will probably still be playing 2K and all, but just to take a minute and take a deep breath and, and get ready for next season. I think that's a win. Now, mind you, as soon as I say this, probably within a week of me saying it, something crazy might go down. But, hey, that's why it's the NBA, man. We love it. Yeah, we're, we all deserve a break. Uh, and I do agree. I did actually – I did have – Pacers and I classified it as Pacers comma other East teams as a winner but it was so small on my list I didn't see it um, but yeah Pacers had a solid under the radar offseason adding Tyreek Evans Kylo Quinn Doug McDermott um, Celtics and Sixers had quiet summers but things automatically improved without LeBron I think those teams were having yep. better off seasons before they saw Kawhi Leonard in Toronto but I mean just in general other East teams <laughs> that could be contenders all winners with LeBron leaving. Raptors take a big leap with getting Kawhi if he's healthy, but even the Celtics get a healthy team back with Gordon Hayward and Kyrie. Pacers added some players to a 48-win team last year, I think. Um, uh-huh. And the Sixers, more development, getting something out of Fultz should be a better season for them, so I agree. And yes, overall, I agree. We should be getting a break because there's basically no free agents left. There's basically, last time I checked, no trade demands left to be filled uh, or achieved. So we can actually relax and get a break. We will be taking a break from the pod for the next couple of weeks. And then we'll be back yes. with some creative episodes and, again, t- uh, team season previews starting in September once kind of training camp kicks underway. Um, so be sure to follow uh, us on Twitter. Um, follow the site on Twitter at the 94 Feet Report. Check out our site. At 94feetreport.com, we're going to be launching our team off-season review series, one team per day, starting Monday, July 30th, so a week from when you're listening to this. Um, check that out. We're going to be rolling out content on Instagram, so you can follow us on Instagram at uh, 94feetreport. Um, so check that out. So Twitter and Instagram and the website and our YouTube channel. Of course, we still got some occasional Ooh. shows of the Swingman. Just so much content from our team coming up, and we're going to be adding people in the coming weeks, gearing up for another strong offseason and heading into the next crazy NBA season. But a break from us from this pod for the next couple of weeks. Going to refresh, going to recharge our batteries, and we're going to hit the ground running um, towards the end of August and, of course, of September. So follow us on Twitter for all of that. Um, follow me on Twitter at Eric Sparrows NBA. Corbin, of course, they can follow you at... Corbin and Corbin Ford NBA and at the 94 feet port Twitter handle as Eric already said we're gonna be beefing it up but you know on the podcast here a little break I love it man I, I, I'm all for it man yeah all right so make sure to follow us the site everyone all our platforms check out all of our content we will be back in uh, a couple of weeks but of course uh, stay tuned on Twitter for when we're actually coming back um, just guys enjoy a break just just you just we all deserve a break so just enjoy it. oh yeah all right take care <laughs> all right